everyone, Kevin here from Skywatcher, and welcome back to the What's Up webcast, Webcastathon Extreme. I know you've been hanging out with us all day, so thanks for being here. Um, we are now getting started with our second live panel. Um, but before I introduce everybody, um, now is the time for the second uh, giveaway to start. This is again for a Star Adventurer Pro Pack, not the 2i version, We just the regular one, but you get all the stuff with it. And uh, get over it. I'm sorry, it's not the latest one, but you're getting something free. So that's awesome. Um, so you do have to email into info at skywatchusa.com, which you can see down there below. And the crazy topic that you need to put inside of the subject line is comet socks. Um, that's what you're getting. Uh, Jared, just who's hanging out with here in our, we should actually make comet socks, just FYI for our, our stuff like that. Um, but yes, that is the giveaway code for this round of the giveaways. Uh, by the way, the giveaways are only active during the topic. So I um, meant to mention that earlier. Um, so you can enter in for the entire hour that the giveaway, uh, that the live panel is on. So good luck. Uh, the rules and regulations are in the chat there. You can see the link if you need to re be reminded of what's going on. So. We're going to get started in our social media pla or, uh, platform uh, section. Um, I'm joined by Trevor Jones of Astro Backyard, Nico Carver of Nebula Photos, and Kalpana. I'm sorry, did I get that right? No, Kalpana. 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 I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. Kalpana Pot of uh, Griffith Observatory. Um, all of you have major platforms in the social media world. Um, I know a lot of people who are hanging out with us know a lot of you. So, um, but thanks for hanging out with us uh, today. You all have a big influence in astronomy, at least the modern day world in your various outlets. Um, so it's, it's cool to have you guys on here and see how social media has really become a major platform for astronomy. So I was curious from your perspective, um, how you've seen social media really affect astronomy. I know a lot of, you know, maybe haven't done it for a long, long time, but how have you seen uh, social media, at least through your various platforms, affect astronomy and uh, from your perspective? I don't know if you want to start, Nico. Sure. Um... So I sort of got into this from photography and uh, I was working at the University of Delaware when I first got on any social media, um, this visiting uh, photographer came and said, uh, I get all of my work on Instagram. And I did, I was just like, I wasn't on any of the apps. I wasn't on anything. And I was, I just thought that was so interesting that he said that. And so he was teaching this course on iPhoneography. This was back to date myself when the first iPhone came out and he was saying, this has a really cool camera. And I was like, oh, really? Um, and so we were going around town taking like street portraits uh, with the original iPhone and posting them to Instagram and just posting like dozens a day. <laughs> it was just, it was a really just a different time, but he was like, yeah, I get all my work here. It's the new place to hang out. And so I got really interested at that point. Um, anyways, this is a long preamble to say that's how I got onto Instagram. And then astrophotography came later for me. And so I feel like I've sort of been there, at least on Instagram, watching it sort of really take off as more and more people get into the hobby. And if you're an astrophotographer, I think you immediately get on one of these apps and start sharing your pictures, of course. Um, and so 
it's, I think it's an interesting change. I mean, before the app based stuff, there was like message boards. And so there was still a way to like communicate online, but I think, um, the apps have made it a little bit friendlier than some of the message boards, which had a reputation for being like for experts only. Sure. I'll go next. And, uh, yeah, so yeah, to echo what, what Nico said, uh, I've kind of watched it because I've been doing it for so long now, about 12 years, I've watched it really grow. And I mean, to, to a level that uh, I certainly didn't see coming, um, the amount of, you know, Instagrammers that have these astrophotography accounts, like suddenly this, this niche hobby is now seems to be like this global phenomenon, which is, which is great. And uh, yeah, so like the, the early days for me, it was not uh, Instagram. It was, as Nico said, that chat rooms, I remember there was a specific uh, astrophotography website where we had this little chat room and we would, I got to know those guys really well and a lot of emails back and forth. Um, but yeah, what a, what a difference it is now with uh, the state of everything. Um, my particular story, most of my astronomy stuff is on TikTok, blanked on the platform for a second. And so my name there, Talk Nerdy to Me, was a silly name I came up with when I joined about a year and a half ago. And uh, as my as Kevin said for my intro, I was working at Griffith Observatory until the pandemic hit. <clears throat> and then so obviously everything shut down, but I still wanted a place where I could speak to the public or whoever about space. And as resistance as I resistant as I was of joining TikTok, which is just me, I'm a contrarian for a while. And then I just give in. Um, I decided to join soon after the pandemic hit. And again, it just gave me a way to still do what I do at Griffith, but just with almost actually a more global audience. And also I can have visuals and curate my little videos the way I want to. So I I grew my platform there fairly quickly because with TikTok, like all you need is one video to do really well, and then you'll stagnate for a while. But I, I'm enjoying it so far a lot just to be able to connect with people on the subject matter. And in a platform where you can't really uh, edit anything, for instance, on Instagram, I run more of like a fashion blog. And, you know, Instagram has that reputation of Photoshop and it's just not as real. But I found that on TikTok, just being on video format, being able to talk about space. It's been really enjoyable to connect to people that way all over the world. Also, guys, sorry, I have a cold. So it's not normally this raspy. <laughs> That's all right. Um, and we just put her TikTok uh, link in the chat for anybody who's watching. You want to see her work. Um, and then, of course, Nico and Trevor, you can track down on little channels on YouTube that I guess you could find. You have Trevor from Astro Backyard and Nico from Nebula Photos. They're not hard to find. So, um, so where, uh, let me see, where do I want to go with this? Because there's a lot of ways we could go about this. So what would you say to people who, because obviously there's a lot of people, we obviously had some of the younger generation on with Fiona and Helena on the previous uh, platform. They're kind of just getting started where many of you have, you know, been for years at this point. Uh, what would you say to anyone out there or anyone watching who might want to get started and basically doing outreach in the methods and platforms that you have chosen? Uh, just do it. <laughs> just start because um, I've seen people who ask me, you know, how do I become a SciCommer? Also, science communicator is essentially a job title now. And I told them, you just start. That's what these platforms are there for. I don't actually even have a degree in 
astronomy or astrophysics. I was a business major and I'm a full-time actor. Space is just a nerdy, fun hobby of mine. And so if I can do it and I've even gotten hosting gigs out of it, then if you have an interest in the subject matter, then just do it. <laughs> That's all you need to do. Just start. You guys want to elaborate? On I think it's, uh, it's interesting with the different platforms, like they have different formats, like YouTube is like longer form video, TikTok, shorter form. There's photo sharing apps. There's all these things, but then they all have, they also have different communities. I found like even in the astrophotography space, I have different kinds of conversations on Instagram versus Twitter versus YouTube and all these different places. So it's something that I didn't expect. So when you, when I got asked to do the social media panel, I'm like, oh, I'm not really a social media guy, but then I like totaled up all the places that I'm on. And it was amazing how many could be considered social media. You, and I realized like the reason social media person, yeah. I realized, I realized like the reason is like, they all have different communities and different sort of ways of interacting with people. And so I didn't, I didn't get that until I started getting on more and more of them. Um, and then one more thing I'll say is nowadays, like you can also sort of create your own like social media places. Like I did, I just got on discord this past year and created my own server. And that's sort of in another, another kind of interesting thing, because it's like, instead of uh, sort of having to follow the rules of the social media companies, you can set your own set of rules for a community. So mm. there's another sort of interesting thing that I hadn't considered I would do, but then uh, now I'm sort of hooked on that too. Yeah, I, I think, you know, we, we've, as, as an influencer, you feel this responsibility to be everywhere, everywhere and on every platform to, to have your, you know, to, to showcase your, your abilities everywhere you can for opportunities or, or whatever it is, but you, you actually, you have a favorite platform that, that really excites you the most. For me, it's, it's YouTube and it's because of that long form uh, content. So, you know, it's telling an act, telling a story and having the time to tell it uh, in a way that that I want to using music and and everything like that. That's my favorite platform by far is YouTube, and most people could probably tell. But so you end up spending a lot of time more so on certain platforms than others. And uh, I would say to to anyone trying just to be everywhere, just to kind of slow down and focus on one. Uh, the type of content that you like creating most and maybe you're best at and to really double down on that. Um, you can be in those other areas too. Like I'll always share a picture from my YouTube video on Instagram, but it's just, it really does come second to the, the amount of time and energy I put into my YouTube videos. Yeah, because I know on our side, at least, you know, from a company standpoint, um, it's a lot of work to balance. Um, you know, I think a lot of people laugh at least it's, it's obviously changed quite a bit nowadays because as our uh, newer generation has come in and we've kind of been adapted to social media and such um, and more platforms have shown up, it's just kind of something that's there and everyone's on it and everyone does it, but it becomes a major balancing act trying to handle Twitter and Facebook and TikTok and Instagram and YouTube. And especially if you're going to be on multiple platforms, how you handle a lot of that um, as well. And it, it seems like most of you have kind of found the platform of choice and then you kind of just navigate those waters the best you can. I'm pretty <laughs> bad about it. I, I, I'm still on way too many, you know, answering everyone's direct messages. And so I'm <laughs> ping-ponging. I wish, it, I wish there was just like a place where I could just answer everyone's messages 
in one place rather than having to open up all these different programs. But sounds like you're about to invent a new app or something. (laughs) (laughs) The Carver platform. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. But no, I agree. I think uh, dabble in everything and see what you like. I tried YouTube years ago and I'm like, it's not for me. I just didn't have the time. And then to sit there for and edit long form videos, although I have a few from like five years ago, but then, so TikTok was a bit more for me that way, being able to do video, but I never have to do more than 60 seconds. I mean, we're up to 10 minutes now and I did try to do a 10 minute video. Didn't do very well. It's just not the platform for it. So I don't know why they're trying to experiment with 10 minute videos, but that's an option now on TikTok guys. (laughs) Just FYI. (laughs) Yeah. I've talked to Trevor about this behind the scenes in length about the differences between kind of the Instagram world Facebook, I feel, is still hanging on to relevance, but it's kind of floating in the ether um, where Instagram and Twitter is still a thing. I don't know why, um, but uh, but yeah, it, there's a very different approach on how you have to look at something like TikTok or Instagram where it's you commit kind of X amount of time to make a post where YouTube, uh, Nico and Trevor, um, you guys know this really well how much time it takes to make a post, if you will, because your video, though it's 10 minutes or however long it is, is hours of time put into the background. So it's a ton of work to maintain the channels that you guys are handling. Yeah. And then it's really disappointing when you put in, you know, you know, a hundred hours of work and it's, and it doesn't perform how you expected. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like with, yeah, shorter form, it's like, if you put it out quicker and, and you're, you're just more sort of searching for that hit, but for with YouTube, it's like everyone I really care about. I'm like, this is my best video. And then it, it's just sort of random whether it will do what I think it should do. So. Yeah. The, the I mean, with all platforms, the, the algorithm can be kind of cruel and, uh, you know, I really can't complain because I've had a few really take off. So, um, you know, that's, that's really important for the growth of a channel or, or wherever you happen to be. Um, but yeah, it, those ones where you, you've put in so much time and energy uh, and it just completely flops is pretty uh, disheartening. Um, but yeah, in, in like TikTok, the short form video, and, and it sounds like long, you know, is, is a possibility as well. Uh, in that way, like even though those videos are shorter and maybe take less time to, to film and edit, it really rewards a really creative original idea too. So like that's the magic that really takes it off because you would think, okay, if I'm, I'm used to creating these t- 10 minute YouTube videos that I spend 50 hours on, I should be able to just absolutely destroy TikTok, right? But no, not the case. I, I can't really figure that one out and create the types of videos that tons of people want to watch and where others have. So in that way, it's kind of fun to experiment and to see what works and what doesn't. But at the end of the day, if you're doing it just for those numbers, you're really not going to be satisfied at all. Because even if you do get a big hit in terms of viewers, that that high doesn't last very long. So you need to actually love what you're doing all the time for it to be sustainable. That's a good point. Because I know on TikTok, um, like 99% of my pages face in astronomy and I curse in a lot of my videos and that's just the way I am. <laughs> but uh, I can't for the life of me figure out why one video gets over a million views and the other one gets 10,000. 
So it's just, you know, but like you said, I enjoy the subject matter. It was never my intention to join this platform for the sake of, I need to be like a TikToker. I just wanted to continue what I did at Griffith. So I think if you go in with that intention of just talking about a subject matter that you love, then no matter why one tanks or one does great is kind of irrelevant in the end. If you, if overall you do see a growth and uh, you like what you do for sure. Well, I think it's kind of cool, particularly for you, Kapana, uh, Kapana is uh, being, you know, TikTok is such a new platform and there's a lot of yeah. young people on TikTok. But then the fact that you're also, you know, a woman in astronomy and science is like, you know, in a way you kind of hold this torch for a lot of women to like look to where it's like, wow, I don't just have to be, you know, I mean, it's TikTok. We all know a lot of what sits on TikTok. <laughs> um, it's like, okay, that's a great way to get attention. And I mean, whatever floats your boat to find your lost remote, you know, fine, whatever. <laughs> but it's, it's kind of cool. Like the young woman we had on earlier where, you know, oh, I can be this, or I could be kind of this, you know, you know, expression of something that is more than just, here's what I look like kind of thing. It, it's yeah, really kind of cool how you can, <clears throat> you know, I know working at Griffith, makes that easy because you're already working with people but it's cool that you've taken that and brought it into a much larger universe so definitely well said with the universe word in there but it's true and I'm very happy to see the science side the edu talk side of TikTok growing so it's not just like a dance platform I guess that's kind of what it geared towards initially. Um, but that side is growing quite a bit, which is really great to see. And there's a lot of other Psy women on there, not just me. And I swear, I think we all hopped on after the pandemic hit. Yeah. Because I think we're all like literally friends now and growing together. But I do a series on Wednesdays generally called STEM Women Wednesday, where I highlight a woman in science and history who's made a significant contribution who doesn't really get the recognition she deserves so and that series seems to be um, impacting a lot of people which I'm very proud of uh, that's pretty cool and it I you know I know Trevor's wife Ash has started to make more appearance in uh, your videos and does she have her own channel or she's got her own Instagram yeah no, she just makes appearances, but yeah, she's, she's sharing her experience as an astrophotographer herself, which is so awesome to, that we can both do it together. No, that's, it's, I just think it's really cool that you're starting to see the platforms have also given uh, a platform um, to, you know, women and other people that might, you know, cause it's really easy to get overshadowed, especially in the world of Instagram, where it's just like, look at me, look at me, look at me. Um, yeah. And that's it. So it, I think it's cool to see more women pushing through, especially with astronomy, because it's been such a, and still is a male dominated, you know, hobby or profession, or lack of whatever, but it's cool that it's being more, there's more and more coming through. So. Definitely. Also, because we have the added bonus of having to deal with a lot of conspiracy people who constantly I get messages of NASA lies or these images are fake or the earth is flat, literally constantly. So I'm happy to be a part of the other side who is pushing back against it. So there's that. I'm terrified to go through your DMs. It, it must be interesting. Yeah. You know, so. I, I said when I first started TikTok that 
okay, again, I'm not really on YouTube or anything. And on Instagram, it's like fashion based. So I don't get a lot of hate on there. <laughs> but uh, when I started TikTok, I was like, holy crap, the uh, trolls seem to be the worst on here because, you know, everyone hiding anonymously behind their phone. It's so easy to do. Now I don't get jaded by it at all. And I think most people are still very positive and here to actually learn. So I'm trying to rewire my brain to focus on the fact that still like the good outweighs the bad, but it's, it is jarring at first because I actually um, never got that at Griffith. We did have some flat earther encounters, but people, again, they're not as brave in person as they are behind their phone. So it was jarring to me at first, but now I'm like, I'm just expecting it. So it's fine. <laughs> That's actually one of the bullet points we have for this particular panel, um, which I would, I've talked to Trevor again about some of this, but um, I'd be interested to hear everyone's thoughts of how you deal with conspiracies or trolls or banning people, because a lot of times, and we're starting to learn this being that we've been doing this uh, webcast for a couple of years now, is you don't, you do get these people who are willing to basically shoot their mouth off and say whatever they want because they're keyboard warriors or whatever they are. Um, but it does get a little disheartening and you're still a person and you still have to read stuff like this. And I was wondering, especially for somebody who might be starting, you can get pretty deflated with some of the stuff people can say when, if your skin's not, you know, thick enough to handle some of that. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll go first on this. So, you know, I am, uh, I wouldn't say I'm sensitive, but I, I'm, my skin isn't as thick as it should be for what I do. Um, because I'll, I'll read a really mean comment and, uh, I'll be like, Oh, whatever, you know, hide user from channel, like problem solved. Right. But I'll think about that comment, especially if it was something that really, you know, picked apart something I was insecure about and, and all it'll be in my head for maybe even a week. And, uh, it's, it's really, it doesn't make you want to keep going and keep creating it because you get, you start to overthink it. So I've really had a tough time with the, with the trolls sometimes. And if it's just a flat earther, that's fine, whatever. I see that all the time. But if it's something about attacking me, and I've had a surprising number of, of attacks against me for whatever reason, uh, it really, really hurts. And, and sometimes it's, it's to the point where I want to turn the camera off for an extended period of time. Uh, so how I deal with it now is that uh, Ashley kind of filters out um, much of the, the anonymous comments that I get. Um, and make sure I only see the good ones and not the really mean ones, uh, which is it's it's might be surprising to hear. But I, I just thought I would share that because um, I think maybe people see us as like not real people that this just rolls off our back and like we're used to it or something. But me personally, it still really gets to me, uh, which is uh, it's unfortunate, but true. Yeah, I, I don't really engage with uh, conspiracy theory people and the flat earth people because I found early on, if I do, it just gets into a long spiral of conversation that's not productive because I can never really change their minds with facts. Um, echo chamber, as someone yeah. in the chat mentioned. So I do, but like Trevor said, when it, when someone has like a legitimate thing that's sort of like, I don't know, so, so it can eat at you if, if, if they've sort of hit on something, even if most of what they're saying is garbage, it's like, if they say something that's like sort of a weak spot for you, it can really just sort of stick in your mind. Um, and I've, I have sometimes, against my better judgment, engaged with those people too and gotten into like comment battle kind of things where we're going back and forth, I don't know, 10 or 12 times. Um, and it's, it never really 
makes me feel better, but I just get sucked in. Uh, yeah, uh, I do too with certain people. Um, as I mentioned, when I first started TikTok, <laughs> it was quite jarring at first. For some reason, I just didn't expect it. And I don't know why, um, but I'm so over it at this point too. I don't care. Sometimes I do engage because I like to out conspiracy, the conspiracy nut. So when they're like, these images are fake, I'm like, you're fake. And that's the end. Like I just go one step further just to mess with them that way. But I think also though, probably having a slightly thicker skin because what I do is being an actor and I face like rejection and criticism all the time. So when I'm already getting berated that way, these people eventually be nothing to me. But no, it's completely fair. As I said, when I first started, it was really off-putting and jarring, especially when it's being singled out for my gender or that I'm here for attention or whatever, when it is more personal that way, as Trevor was saying, as opposed to it just, oh, I hate science. Then it does stick to you because also it gets to me just because I'm like, who speaks this way? Like there's truly something going on in this person too want to really just pull down somebody else to that degree that they attack them personally. And so I just get wrapped up in the psychology of how these people function. But I think, yeah, the more you do it, I think you just get, you, you're expecting it. So maybe you protect yourself a bit more that way. And then again, focus on the fact that majority are still good and it's only a few that are crappy. And I know it gets kind of hard, uh, particularly for uh, Nico and Trevor, um, because you know, you guys get sent a lot of stuff and, you know, I'm sure we've all been to events where it's like, Oh, if only I could have this, or if only I could have that. And you do a video on it and it's like, well, I've got this to check it out. And maybe I know you guys are very upfront about how it ended up in your hands with something, but people, you know, especially in astronomy, we all like to talk gear. We like to show our stuff off and stuff like that. But, um, it always bugs me because I've, I've worked with you guys um, where and even my own outreach program where people are like, well, you just get stuff for free. And it's like, it's not for free because your time is worth something too. So there's an exchange of services usually if something is sent to you. Um, so it, it bugs me when you get people who are like, oh, well, and then they get jealous of your platforms or something because it's like they just have all this free stuff. It's like, hmm. It's either a loaner, so it's not actually yours, or if there is some kind of agreement where company A is sending you this to check out and company B or you being the advertisement platform are providing that service. So it's, there's a mix of stuff that goes on there. And I think people just see it for face value and then they get jealous about it. So, but and if yeah, you guys I, want to I, dig into that. Uh, I, I did a review policy pretty bef before I did any reviews on my channel, I made a review policy because I wanted to like stick to it myself. Um, so the main thing in my review policy is I'm not going to do reviews for money. So it's like, so if, once you're big enough, you'll get people emailing you saying like, we'll pay you to review our product. And that's what I always turn down. Um, and usually that's crap products anyways, because the, the major players don't do that. They send you things for free, but they don't pay you to review the product. Um, and I think that's where it gets into a real ethical concern for me because then you're being paid basically for a positive review, even if the product sucks. Um, so that's my yeah. take on it. I I'm so glad you brought that up, Nico, too, because that was like a clear, um, 
red zone to not go into where it's we're because if if they're paying you to review something then it's like okay well I, I have to say it's good then right which is a disservice to to it's not a real review anymore and uh to this day i've never taken a, a penny to review an astronomy product and i i've never i've always wanted to just be like you know what the truth will set me free i don't have to you know go over the top and tell everybody that all the time because it's like it just it brings it into an area that I don't even want to start talking about. But in the back of my head, I always thought it would be awesome for someone to actually call Skywatcher and be like, how much are you paying Trevor to talk about that? It's like, we haven't paid him a nothing, you know, and every astronomy dealer is, a, it's the same thing. So, um, but I feel like, I hope that through the kind of content that we create where that comes off anyway, where you don't actually have to, you know, continuously remind people, by the way, these are my real thoughts. Like, if it's not your real opinion, then then what's the point of watching anyway? So hopefully, I, like the way we come across and talk about things, you can tell that it's our honest opinion. We don't have to actually explain that. No, any so yeah, anybody watching is like you've paid Trevor or Nico for this. I sent them a scope. If they want to tear it apart and say it's terrible. It's totally valid to do so. So we just let our stuff speak for ourselves. And if you're looking for profit from us. It's not the right spot. Well, so. and, and as a creator, the, the good brands let you do your thing. And it's like, you know what? Test it out. See how you feel about it. If you want to create content around it, if it fits, then do it. But there's no expectations. Because if you're put in the, the other position where it's, you know, you're uncomfortable and it's, you're not enjoying the product, that's a, that's a nightmare scenario to be in. So you, you start as a creator over time, you start to realize uh, the brands that you, you want to continue working with and ones that you should avoid. Um, so moving to the next topic on there, cause I don't want to just be like Debbie Downer about like, <laughs> here's all the horrible things about social media. Um, how do you guys go about, uh, and this is going to be different and I'll be interested to hear you, all of you because your platforms are different, but how do you go about either growing your audience? And then the big thing, um, which anybody in the, anybody doing whatever they love for work is going to probably have to balance with is how do you deal with burnout? Because I know from personal experience that happens too, where you just hit a wall where it's like, okay, I've had enough with it. So how do you go about building your audience? And then how do you deal with the other side of it where you're not running yourself into the ground? It's Rudy, everyone in the back. (laughs) He knows. Uh, Yeah. I'm, I've definitely dealt with it uh, a a few times. And I think it's inevitable once you've done, you know, speaking of astrophotography and social media, um, because there's a certain amount of energy you want to bring, um, whether it's a a YouTube video or TikTok video to your audience, you know, you're asking for their time and you want to give them something special. Uh, And that level of energy to keep up is, is hard to sustain over a long period of time. Uh, And for me, I found it was, was hard to sustain if I wasn't in the hobby, exciting myself um, with new projects and, and, and being out in the backyard or traveling and all those things. So the pandemic being stuck here in Canada for two years straight, definitely I'm sure had something to do with it, feeling a little cooped up. And uh, yeah, honestly, I think we feel this pressure to just churn out content every, every day or every week. And I think the answer is to actually take a break and realize that, you know, even if you do see a, a dip in those numbers and that traction you're getting, 
it's important to take those breaks and to come back refreshed with your full energy as opposed to uh, just putting something out for the sake of keeping that you know machine going. I think uh, Kalpana said earlier, like just start. And so I think that's a big thing with building an audience is like, you just have to start. I mean, because I think a lot of people overthink it and think like, they have to make this big plan for how they're going to grow an audience, but you don't know yet anything until you actually start engaging with people and putting things out there and you get signals back about like, what's good, right? Like when I started on YouTube, my first video was an unboxing because that's what everyone was doing was unboxings. I only did that once. Then I never did that again. I started doing other things. So you just have to really try different things and see what you enjoy, see what's fun, and that will help with burnout too. Like I'm a huge uh, video production nerd. So I really love making videos. And if I didn't, I would not be good on YouTube because so much of it is having to make the videos every week and edit them and all that stuff. And since I really enjoy that, it doesn't feel like a huge amount of work to me. Absolutely. Kind of what we said before, find the platform that you feel you're best with. For me, I learned YouTube wasn't really my thing because I don't fully enjoy the video editing process. So TikTok was, I spend literally no more than a half an hour on my videos. And that's including finding the material of the subject matter I'm speaking about for the day, pulling up the pictures, recording the stuff, editing. It's because great. I don't want to be on social media longer than that. So TikTok is great for me that way. And that way I don't really burn out either because I've already ahead of time known how much time I want to devote to stuff. And by the way, guys, just because I say half hour, that doesn't mean I'm not, not interested. I just have other stuff I like to do as well. And, and I found that it, it just, it still works, even if it sounds like a very short amount of time, but that's what that platform um, is beneficial for it. And from the time I started to where I am now, like my videos were terrible initially. I didn't even have images. I would just talk about the newest discovery. <laughs> and now they're a lot more refined. So start somewhere, find the platform you like, and then it, the refinement will come over time. And also I will say, be true to yourself. I do get quite a bit of backlash for cursing in my video and I don't care because um, when I started it, I was like, I wanted to speak to people the way I would to, with my friends. And so that's not going to be for everybody. And I couldn't care less. And those who really like it are very, very loyal to my page that way. So I get like, you know, you want to grow. So you want to make your videos more accessible to everybody, but also, you know, be true to yourself. And I think TikTok does lend itself to having a very strong personality with the way you want to approach your videos. Cause I'm definitely not the only one who curses, but I am one that gets a lot of backlash for it, but it just makes me do it more. Yeah, <laughs> no, I, I, I kind of like people like that because I feel like it's a more, you feel like you're obviously in certain platforms and certain levels, you kind of want to be polished in certain ways for whatever the reason may be, um, especially if you're like representing and stuff like that. But I, I do like people who approach it that way too. And I, I feel like it's a read the room kind of thing. So it's got to work for the way you do it. But um, it also comes across, and I think TikTok lends that platform a little bit better than say, you know, other things, but you're getting more of a, this speak, this person is speaking to the point and straight with me at that, at that point. So I get for myself, cause I'm representing a company, uh, Nico and Trevor, they've got brands as well that they, and the content is just different. Um, but, uh, yeah, 
it's it's just different where that goes but i think everyone at some point if you meet someone in person it's a little different uh experience too um and that's something i actually wanted to to hit on as well is obviously because i i've kind of been thrusted into this thing the web what's up webcast was kind of my brainchild when covid hit just for something for us to do and it's grown into whatever it is now um but even at you know i've gone to shows with trevor and nico's gone to star parties and i know you've done events in public as well with you know griffith and all these other uh, avenues there's a real difference about you and the person you're seeing constantly in the energy you have to be the bulb when it's on but then in real life, you can't always be that, you know, version of yourself. So um, I didn't know if you found that difficult when you're in person uh, with other people where they might have this expectation to where you're supposed to be like this all the time, as opposed to, hey, I'm just hanging out. Yeah, I think people think I'm an expert or something because I have a YouTube channel, but I'm real. And so that's a big thing for me when in person, like, people coming up to me feel, and I feel this pressure, like, oh, I have to have the answer immediately. But like all my YouTube videos are researched. You know, it's like, I write scripts. I do all this research. I don't, I'm not like an encyclopedia. So I think that's a hard thing for me with um, in-person is I can't immediately fix people's problems necessarily. I don't, I, it's, it's, uh, <laughs> astrophotography. <laughs> yeah. Astrophotography is like just a frustrating thing for everyone. I can't, I'm, I can't necessarily like fix it for people, which is, is frustrating for me too. Cause then like they come to me thinking I'm this expert at it. So. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's a bizarre experience, uh, especially when it's well, the first few times it happens when you see people in real life that have seen you only on online on your YouTube videos and they, they have kind of this starstruck reaction to you, which is a weird experience in itself. Uh, but then, um, you know, they, they have, like Nico said, they expect you to be the expert on, because you've answered so many questions for you. They just assume, you know, the answers to everything they have. And basically if it's not a, a piece of gear that I've used before, I, I don't know anything about it. So they'll constantly get hit, throw me these curveballs very specific questions. And I, I feel like I'm letting them down. I'm like, I, I really don't know, like this would be my best guess. But, um, and then the other thing is they also kind of feel like they know you, uh, especially for my channel. I've shared a lot of my personal life on it too, where they'll, they'll tell me very specific things about, you know, my honeymoon with Ashley and Rudy's uh, paw was hurting last week and stuff like that. And, uh, but they're a complete stranger to me. So it's, it's a weird dynamic when you, when you meet these people face to face, but it's, it's one of my favorite things to do. And I'm so looking forward to uh, the star parties this summer and to, to meet even more face to face. Um, I haven't met anyone cause I got on TikTok after the shutdown. So <laughs> we'll have to see how that goes for me once we're more or less back in person. And I moved back to LA in the summer and I'll be back at Griffith again. Um, what was I going to say though? Oh, well for me too, though, I approach, like I said, TikTok the way I do just how I casually speak with the whatever sarcasm and cursing. And I was the same way with patrons at Griffith. Obviously I wouldn't curse if there were kids involved, but you know, with like small little groups, I would speak to them the same way I speak on my TikTok. So I think, I think people will just expect that what they see on my videos is probably what they'll get in person. <laughs> so that makes my job easier. Uh, I, I, but that's kind of your vibe at that point. Yeah. So it's, you know, which I, like I said earlier, I kind of like that with people where it's just, that's, 
you know what you're getting at that point as right. well. So, mm-hmm. but uh, not anything against Trevor or Nico either. It's just, it's all, it's very different um, on how it's just, yeah, it's, you can't really compare one to the other because it's all exceedingly different. Um, but it is kind of weird because that's something I've had to deal with too um, about the kind of notoriety thing you know, not that we've been to shows where people come up to me or say anything, but I've had people call. They're like, is this Kevin from the webcast? It's like, I'm the only Kevin at Skywatcher. So yeah, I guess. But I, I'm sure it's kind of flattering at that point where it's like, you feel like you're kind of this thing to people. Um, I know Trevor and Nico, you, um, you have people like Fiona and stuff who you've made a big difference in their lives for, getting them where they are now so you're going to have this new generation that's trailing you now um that you've kind of inspired um i know kalpana is going to do the same thing i'm sure eventually you're going to meet someone that's like you you know sparked this or you lit this way for me and that's that's i think it's really cool to see um because of that i'm sure that makes it uh all your work and all the stuff you have to push through like it's like, okay, that was worth it. So yeah, definitely the the connections to younger people have been like the most rewarding things for me. Um, and I've I've been lucky to like meet some younger people in person, lend lend them my gear, do, just and that's been really fun. I don't have kids myself, but like being able to connect with like that next generation of astrophotographers has been something I didn't expect from YouTube, but it's been one of my favorite parts. Yeah, that's, that's my North star. Like that's what keeps me going. The, to inspire others, especially the younger generation is like my greatest accomplishment. And like earlier when Helena was on and she was like, Oh yeah, I saw Trevor's video and that's what helped get me started. Like after hearing that, like I'm done, I can hang him up now. Like I'm happy just to get someone like that involved and to know that that's happening at scale is like the best responsibility and the best feeling like that's, that's what you wake up in the morning and think of stuff like that. So that's by far the best part of the whole thing. Um, I don't even like kids and I found that to be rewarding myself. So, I mean, it is nice. Ultimately, I just, you know, I don't really ever want to have them. I don't really know how to interact with them, but even at times though, when they were at Griffith and they were just so inspired, I'm like, I guess at times I kind of like them, but uh, so regardless though, that is, it is for sure very rewarding. And I would hope that eventually my page gets to that point where, well, I get some people to be like my daughters and I love your videos and those comments mean the world to me. So even with the cursing, they like it. Well, <laughs> like, and hey. I think, um, again, because of the way you approach things, um, it kind of shows just as a, again, I don't mean to bring this back up, but as a woman, it also brings it to where, look, I'm not going to be this pretty, pretty princess all the time. And, you know, I'm going to give it to you straight. I'm going to talk straight like an adult with you too. So don't just come up to me thinking I'm some, you know, fair little flower, like, you know, you're in my neighborhood and I know how this stuff works and I'm here and excited to share it with you. But if I, I know what I'm talking about. Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, even some of my followers, they just call the curse words. They have such a good term for it, but it's just like, I can't think of it. Just like, a, it's a little like sprinkle of spice onto what I'm saying <laughs> yeah. for them. It doesn't take away the subject matter. It's just enthusiasm. And maybe it's because I'm an actor. Literally most of the stuff I read for is curse words all way, all over the place, whether it's primetime or HBO or Netflix. So it's just 
it's just what I do. But uh, yeah, so I like it. I mean, I even got hired to do a digital astronomy series with Franklin Institute last December. And I swear to God, they hired me because I cursed in my videos. (laughs) So obviously I have hosting experience as well, but I mean, you know, you do take a risk when you want to be a little bit more limited in your audience that way, but you never know whose attention it could catch at the same time. So ultimately be true to yourself is the point. Sugar, spice, and freaking science. (laughs) (laughs) My first time doing a public outreach with kids, I had to very quickly adjust because I was sort of talking down to them. I realized like, like they were kids. And then I quickly realized these kids know more about astronomy than I do. Like they were so sharp. So I immediately just like, okay, raise this level up like times five. Cause these kids are following all of this. They can tell me all these facts about stars and space. It was, it was really humbling for me just to be there in front of uh, like a, like 50 kids, just anything I said that was wrong, they would catch it immediately and correct me. I always think it's funny when that actually happens. And it's kind of like, Oh, like there's some, uh, you know, lots of stuff to navigate in these waters, doing outreach events with kids, especially kids nowadays that are paying attention to stuff. And yeah, it's like what you said was not quite right. It's like, oh, no. (laughs) So um, you try to be that. But yeah, kids are sharp today. Most of them. I've seen some of you out there and I question it, but learn some stuff so um let's see we only got like 15 minutes left so you guys in the chat if you have any things you want to ask now's the time to throw it in there um and we'll see it um as a uh there's so many ways we could go about this it's crazy and we don't have enough time to actually do it um now how do you guys find with like social media um such as like instagram and YouTube, you know, there's kind of a, especially in the astrophotography world, things get a little questionable when it comes to images, um, as far as how people approach it. And I know there's some people that have started some, um, interesting conversations about like, that's too edited, but I guess it's about your approach to it. But I guess from, I feel like a lot of us are on the same page where we're trying to make it scientifically accurate but i i kind of want to know your opinion i would love to know kapana's uh, uh position on this as well because she's a big science advocator what are your thoughts on images on social media that are a little too overcooked as far as the processing goes in terms of like even just astrophotography images? Yeah, it gets or... a little, you start to bridge that gap into what I would call more dream-like work. Um, and I know this can be a very touchy subject with people because it gets into the, it's art. But I feel like there's a balance, at least for me, I feel like there's a balance as someone who's trying to communicate science on, I'm trying to be truthful to you and accurate. So I don't want to overcook my stuff, but I get wanting to have a, a nice image to attract people too. So, yeah, um, I've run into that problem, problem, whatever subject, a couple of times on TikTok as well. And I have talked to people about image processing and like what, you know, artist rendition and what, because I, because of the conspiracy backlash of, you know, these images are fake and it's like, they're not fake. Uh, image processing is, it's, it's a real thing to get like the colors that they want in these images. Um, so I've just done videos on them explaining 
explaining why the images are the way you see and it's for scientific reasons. And hopefully I'm answering your question because I haven't I haven't personally encountered anything being so outlandishly like overdone. So maybe it's I just don't have an answer. Spot. So it's I know it's hard to overlap everyone's specialty with it too. So sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess my feeling is it's social. I've seen a trend with Instagram and social media towards a certain style of image processing because people are trying to copy things that they see, which is completely understandable. Um, it, to me, it gets dangerous with tools that will you you're using, you know, because everyone else is using them. But then if you use them wrong, they're actually not accurate to what you capture. So Topaz to noise AI is the big one um, that people talk about because it's this tool that actually can create detail that's not there. Um, and it, it's very easy just because it has a slider to just pull up that slider and all of a sudden it's creating stuff that's not really what you captured. Um, so it, I think it is an issue um, with certain tools getting really popular that I don't know if they should be. It's, it's interesting. There was a, a key point that Nico said there, putting something in the image that's not actually there. That to me is like clearly when you're crossing the line of, um, you, you know, that's that's not just over-processing. That's like, uh, it's not even photography anymore. Um, I have really strong opinions on this. And it's funny because my, my evolution of processing has really evolved and you can see it just going down my Instagram grid. I've gotten so much more vibrant and more intense and maybe even more punchy and contrasty than I ever, my tastes ever had before. Um, but it's just the way my styles evolved. And, and I don't know how exactly I, I ended up there. But if I saw one of my images five years ago, I would have said, oh, that's I overcooked. I don't really like that. So it's kind of weird how it does change over time and your tastes evolve. And maybe I'll go back to those softer looking images. Um, I think at the end of the day, if, if it's about quality images and quality data where your stars look nice and round uh, and you haven't blown out any highlights or clipped any shadows, like that, you, that's always going to be a great image, no matter which color palette you use or anything like that. Um, but yeah, as far as these compositions that are created these days, and I see that a lot on Instagram where it's, okay, I'm putting this nebula on with this foreground in front of it. And the scale is all off. And, and when you're kind of changing, it could never look like that in real life. That to me is like beyond what I would, you know, want to ever do. Uh, and then also applying someone else's data, especially if it was like Hubble data to your own, to me, that crosses a line too. And I, I was surprised to see that. I remember seeing one post where um, a guy posted, he said, I used 15% of the Hubble legacy data in my image of this, this nebula. I'm like, well, okay, like now your whole, like, I'll never know what's actually your image now, if that's like the kind of things that you're doing. So to me, it's like, it's being honest about playing with your own data and not adding things that aren't there. And then after that, adjusting it to, you know, whatever style you want. I'm pretty, pretty open that way. Yeah. It's just, it's been interesting to, to watch some of this stuff and I know everyone's got their own style and kudos to them. It's just, um, it gets a little weird when there's like 14 moons in the sky and there's three white tigers next to a waterfall. I mean, we all had that. I, I think we're all about the same age, but I remember when I was younger and you'd go get school supplies and they would have those binders that had like the white tigers and 75 moons and some elegant whale underneath the surface of this, you know, river is just like, okay. 
Um, that's what I think about a lot of that stuff. So um, anyway, I could go down that road way too far and totally eviscerate the entire thing. So we're not going to do that because there are questions. Uh, Kalpana, um, how long, um, the question for you is how long, uh, oh, this is mixed up. How long was she interested in space and science before starting TikTok? And did it feel like a lot of pressure to do uh, first few vi videos or was it just a breeze? Um, so great questions. I've been interested in space as far back as I could remember. I won't say how old I am, but it's been a, you know, a number of decades. <laughs> and there wasn't a specific in instance where it's not like the first time I looked through a telescope. It's just something I've always just in innately been in love with. And then after moving to LA, I started working at Griffith, I believe 2015, because it was also a job that I could love and worked with my acting because I only work there on weekends and I keep my uh, weekdays free for acting. And honestly, joining TikTok just spontaneously happened. It wasn't pre-planned. I just wanted to continue to talk about space to people in a time where I couldn't see them anymore in person. Uh, well, and then what was it about the videos? Oh, like oh, pressure? Um did it feel like a lot of pressure to do the first few videos or was it just easy? It was easy just because I didn't have a motivation to be here for the sake of followers. It was just for the sake of, I want to, I want to communicate it with people in a time where you could not see anybody. And so maybe that was lucky for me because I didn't have that extra added pressure. Those videos sucked, but you know, you grow off of them. So don't, don't let the pressure of, I, I want to hit a million followers by this amount of time like deter you just do it because you like it and and you get better as you go i'd like to mention that as someone who's gotten tons of emails for people being like i want you to send me free stuff followers are not currency like yeah, exactly. sorry they're not <laughs> currency so right um as a company if you're looking to get like backed up on it we look at your whole portfolio. Um, that's why Trevor's got stuff. That's why Nico's got stuff. Cause we look at your portfolio. We'll contact you. Don't call us. So, <laughs> right. um, but yeah, I, I think that's hard in this day, especially in the young crowd where a lot of people see like that's their goal is it's a popularity contest. Yeah. And I think the way you went with it is more the way you should. It's like, because you want to share it because you're passionate about whatever. Yeah. Um, I think for your own like mental sake because this isn't my full-time job again acting is where I leave all my angst and emotion this is genuinely just for fun and I've been lucky enough to grow and get opportunities out of it but I think if you can almost even fill your cup elsewhere or trick your mind into thinking that you know you have other things going on in life then this will come easier I think anything you guys want to add on that are you good uh, it's funny that you said that uh Kalpana, because I, when I had a full-time job and Astro Backyard was my side hustle, I feel like it was a lot, it was a lot more, there was a lot less pressure than there is now. As soon as it became my full-time job, then it's all like, okay, well, you know, better do it right. Or like you're, you know, out on your butt. Like, so um, yeah. it's, it puts things into perspective. And I remember thinking because my, my day job was so stressful that like anything to do with Astro Backyard was like, oh, this is just a big party. Like it was, there was no stress. <laughs> Um, yeah. but it's, it's now because it's, it's my whole life. Uh, the stress has returned, but I should really, you know, keep that perspective. Sure. Mm -hmm. And that does get difficult, um, as well. I've talked to Trevor a lot because I relate to Trevor a lot because being doing this professionally, I mean, Trevor's doing it from one side of the spectrum 
I've done it for tech support and from a, a product uh, company side of things for over a decade at this point for Skywatcher. And it it's a lot to blend your hobby and passion into your paycheck essentially because it can very easily and i know a lot of people in the astronomy industry that just don't enjoy it anymore because you go you really have to find that mental balance of what do i enjoy and as kapana did it earlier uh what fills your cup um that's a good way of putting it because you don't want to burn out and at the end of the day feel like what you're passionate about is no longer what you're passionate about because then you're kind of left with where do I go and what filled that for you is kind of gone. And it's kind of sad to see that, but that flame can go out. And the more and more you push into whatever it is full time, that balance becomes way more critical. But yeah, I'm not, I'm not full time, but, uh, one strategy I've had is with the YouTube channel, I've been focusing entirely on beginner stuff with DSLR. And then in my personal time with astrophotography, I do CCD, you know, kind of stuff with telescopes and all that. So I can sort of separate them in my mind and not feel like it's all just one mess. Um, so that's one thing I found helped with for me. For me. Yeah. And everyone's going to find that on their own accord. It's either that or you're going to run into the ground. So, um, but I know Trevor's taken the big jump with it being that it's your, it is your full-time job now. So there is some kind of responsibility at that point. Uh, and on another level, which I got to talk to Trevor about was when you helped with the Raptor release of the refractor there and, you know, you work and work and work and you make, you go in there to create, we'll have to cut this short too, cause we're running out of time, but you work and work and work to either create this video or you help make this product and you launch it and you're totally stoked about it. And then the first thing that happens is everyone just destroys it for every reason they don't like it. Well, yeah. And, and that is what I unfortunately paid attention to early on, but the reality is it's like Kalpana said earlier, the, there's so much good. It's 99% of the people uh, that got one. It, it inspired them to do astrophotography. And it was this amazing thing for the hobby. That's the reality. That's the true story. But you know how social media goes that anything negative they you know people like to pile on um so it's yeah it's that that's that's the online world unfortunately and um you know if you can if you can get weather the storm it's always worth it on the other side that's what that's what i've found nice well we're pretty much done uh, before we leave uh those of you who want to enter the contest there's a little bit more time for this one um the secret word is comet socks you want to email that into info at skywatcherusa.com. Um, we do have another giveaway uh, coming up in the next panel as well. So stay tuned with that. Um, thank you. This was awesome to actually talk to all of you. I, I get to talk to you guys in bits, um, but it was really, I think this was a really cool discussion where you don't see a lot of the background behind the scenes stuff when it comes to this and the field of astronomy. So thank you all for joining us. Thanks for having thank me. you for having yeah, us. You. Yes, it's fun. <laughs> um, hopefully we can have you all back on. I, we have a little bit more time before I have to kill everything. Um, but if they want to find you guys, uh, we actually have all their links in the, the chat there. Maybe we can put those back up in there if they want to follow you guys either on YouTube or TikTok or 
there's too many of these things to list anymore. Um, and uh, Nico's got a, a new one and uh, you can always go back on there and finish that up and check a lot of that out. If you guys are looking for uh, various things there um, for social media, but again, uh, if you guys want to go check that out, uh, I don't know if Jared could pop up those in the chat real quick for all their links. Um, big thanks to everybody joining us. And of course we do have a plenty of other stuff coming up. Uh, coming up here soon. So thanks very much. We'll see you guys soon. Thank you. Hey everyone, Kevin here from Skywatcher. I'm hanging out with Kevin Schindler and Cody uh, from Lowell Observatory. This is the Lowell Observatory session of the Skywatcher What's Up webcast. Um, and we're going to get started right into it. Um, so, hey Kevin, hey Cody, how are you doing? Hey, hey we're nice doing well. Yeah. I, I have to point out that Cody's last name, she works at the observatory because of her last name, but it's Half Moon. It's and the so only reason was, I got hired. She was yeah. destined to be here, and she's a, a obviously a perfect fit for Lowell. But besides the name, but you know that like oh, she's got to work here. I have it, to. It says your your career history is Bartista. Don't see the experience with telescope, but you're, uh, you're yeah. Uh, half it's, all moon, done. it's all in the fine print. It's all in the fine print. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for having uh, us, Kevin. Absolutely. So, I live in Arizona. I have been to Lowell so many times actually the first time i saw m15 was through the 24 inch clark oh yeah oh that's amazing yeah so every view after that has sucked in comparison (laughs) to that um but i didn't know uh, i know kevin you've been at Lowell for a long time cody i don't think i've had the pleasure of meeting you in person yet um but I didn't know if you guys could just kind of tell us what's going on with you guys have a lot of new stuff. So many new things right now. So I didn't know if you could elaborate on um, just a little bit of, you know, you got this new observing deck. You've got a new yep. visitor center coming up. Yeah. Yep. Well, we've got a lot in person and uh, we have a lot more digital programming, too. So, Kevin, you want to give him a rundown on the, the cool in-person updates we have on sure. campus? Yeah. And, you know, we've been. Since the observatory was founded in 1894, which is 18 years before Arizona was even a state, um, one of the goals has been to do research, but also to share the excitement of space with people, with just everyday people. And so that's been part of what we do. And through the years, these programs have got more and more popular. It started with telescope viewing, and then we got more telescopes, and then we added programs and added stargazing events and such to where today... We're, you know, 100,000 visitors a year um, pre-COVID. And, you know, with that many visitors, we've really developed, you know, a great variety of things to do. So uh, any given day, we're open We're open 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. every day, except for Tuesdays. On Tuesdays, we close at 5. But we have, um, during the daytimes, we have tours that go around some of the historic buildings, like the, the classic 24-inch refractor, the one that you talked about, Kevin, seeing M15 through. Um, and then the telescope used to discover Pluto, which was done right here in our state. And then, and and we've got our our you know gift shop is open all the time and exhibits. Um, we have a lot of other tours 
um, through the day and, and special programs about things having to do with not just the history of Lowell, but of course, what's up in the sky. But then at night, um, you know, the night is so unique because you can come up and we're, we're less than a mile from downtown Flagstaff and yet the skies are so dark because Flagstaff's the first international dark sky city. And even without a telescope or anything, you just look up and it's, it's mind boggling to be able to see like the Milky Way galaxy in the middle, essentially of town. And yet you can. And then we, you know, we set up the telescopes, the big 24 inch refractor, this, this uh, new Giovanni open deck observatory that you mentioned has six telescopes and to open the facility, we roll the building back. The whole building rolls back. And there are six telescopes that our visitors can use to look at a variety of things in the sky. And they're not only, some of them you put your eye to the eyepiece and there's nothing like that connection. When you're looking through a telescope eyepiece, it's just you and what you're looking at. It's really a visceral connection with the sky. But then we also have a couple of telescopes set up with monitors so that you know we can have our, our uh, educators and, and our scientists there you know, bringing up an image, a close-up image of something they study, for instance, and then can teach and show people about it. And so it's really a great variety of things that we can do um, with those telescopes. And we have our educators with laser pointers pointing out, you know, constellations and cool things. Part. Oh, yeah. It's I so love the lasers. <laughs> and then we, we have special oh, programs throughout the year also with, you know, meteor showers and stuff like that. It's, it's, it's great to be able to get together and talk about that stuff. My favorite that, thing is this the solar telescope and the solar filter. I'm I'm really hot on that right now because I sort of just discovered it. But you don't really think of the sun. I mean, you know it's a star, but seeing it through one of these filters and you just see this like floating ball of fire in this inky black of space and you can look directly at it. It's terrifying and incredible. And I, I like I like how you said you're hot on it because yeah. <laughs> the sun the sun in the middle in the core is something like 27 million degrees. That's, yeah. You know, the surface is about 10,000, six or 8,000. So <laughs> it really is very hot, but it's a good point. It's so cool to be able to look at the sun and you don't think about looking at the sun because we've been, all been taught you don't look at the sun, but Lowell is one of the few places where you can get, that we have special filters where you can actually safely view it mm -hmm. and see, like Cody's saying, these these really neat features like um, prominences and, and sunspots, these, these spots that are, they can be two or three times the size of the earth that look like just yeah. a little dot on the sun. It's really neat to be able to look at that. It's insane to behold. And it's like, um, I don't know, it's, you know, in, in popular culture, you've always got like the sun and the moon because relative from the earth, they're about the same size. So you just sort of get used to them being almost equal. And then you see them through this filter and it's just like, oh my God, there's a big ball of gas up there. <laughs> it's terrifying. It's really cool. Well, it makes it like a real place or it's a thing rather real. than just being like oh we're outside and the sun's yeah. up like that's about all you register during the day or just mm -hmm. like it's a light right. source and it that's gives it, it no one thinks about it it gives a whole and, new meaning of a uh, starlight <laughs> yeah <laughs> and through that through the solar telescope you know it's not just like a picture mm -mm. you can see the sun i mean you can see movement you can see the fire um, coming from it it's so cool yeah, so it's really pretty, and and it's not fire per se, right? Like yeah, we yeah. think of because it's so hot, but it's it's you yeah you can Solar see these flares. prominences that change. It's really pretty remarkable. Now Lowell's been pretty cool. Uh, I remember what I think's really cool for those who haven't been to Lowell is, like you said, you're only 
a mile from downtown Flagstaff. So it's like one minute you're in this cool northern town of mm-hmm. Arizona, not far from the Grand Canyon. In a way, it's still got that old west vibe yeah. uh, floating around out there. It's Offer very it different. 66. From, yeah. All the neon it's signs. Very vintage esque in Flagstaff. Um, it's got a cool uh, vibe to it. Mm-hmm. But then you kind of. I don't, for lack of a better term, it's almost like you go through a portal when you go up to the <laughs> yeah. mountain. Because then you step out and suddenly, you know, there's the gates mm-hmm. and it's, you. there's all, you're in the pines and it's just suddenly like you're back in the 1800s and there's yep. the Clark telescope. But now you have the, the Giovanni deck, which is like major top tier, which as someone who does outreach all the time, I look at that and basically it's, we want you to build an outreach observatory. And by the way, you have no budget. Like, <laughs> just do whatever it is you... I know you guys had a budget for it, but that budget was high. So, because it's... You've got a 32-inch daub in there. You've got an 8-inch refractor. You've got a four, 5.5-inch refractor. And you got two plane wave uh, right. scopes in there, too. So, it's just like... Oh, it's like yeah. this mecca at this and We have point. An, Not, an incredible support from, like, our, our donors and... and um members and everybody who's helped make that possible too which was an incredible project and yet you still have the you got the high end and the cool things for the you know nowadays but then a short walk away you walk right back into the clark and it's like this legendary historical... literally victorian telescope <laughs> yes and you really feel like you said you know not just driving up the hill but you walk into like that telescope dome and it feels like you're in a Jules Verne novel, like you've gone back in time. That's exactly what it is. And like there's this big, you know, this long tube. And it, you know, it, what you're describing really represents the observatory so well that, you know, we've been around for, you know, for the American West, we've been all around for a long time, you know, since 1894. If you go back east, that's not as long. If you go to Europe, that's laughable. Yeah. <laughs> for out here, you know, it's old. And, and those old telescopes plus the new ones really represent that heritage for 130 years of doing research with state-of-the-art telescopes and sharing that with with people who aren't astronomers. And so that heritage really comes out when you see that big old, that old Clark refractor and then these state-of-the-art new telescopes that, you know, people drool to have. And we've got them all. Every night's like a big star party. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's always been that way. It's just gotten bigger and yeah. better. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so I know Lowell's obviously that you guys are always doing something, whether it was like the discovery telescope or it's the, which isn't open to the public, by the way. Um, we should put an eyepiece in it one day. I know it's been done because my friend Tom has done it. We Um, got to do that recently and it was amazing. Is that Tom Palakis? Yeah. Yeah. Tom works on staff with us now. Yeah. I've, I got to bug him a little bit more about. <laughs> um, but yeah, you guys have, you know, the Discovery Telescope. Uh, you've got the Giovanni deck now, and you've upgraded the other telescope, which I can't remember the name of it. It's right next to the 24, but now it's another 24. The Dyer. Uh, yeah, yeah, the Dyer is yeah. a plane wave yeah. now. Big 24. Yeah, that's a 24-inch plane wave. Where's the one meter? You collect them all at this point, but I mean, well, actually, um, we actually we're getting we're acquiring one meter plane waves to use at the research facility at Anderson Mesa, which is about a dozen miles outside of town. There you go. There it is. 
Um, except there it is. Um, the scientist Kevin playground. For the, <laughs> Kevin for the win. Um, but you guys are now working on a brand new visitor center too, which is going to, your one that you have now is nice, but this thing, I've seen the drawings. It's enormous. Of 40,000 square feet. Nothing to write home about. That's <laughs> huge. Uh, but um, who, I was talking to someone from Lowell a little, maybe it was Jeff Hall when we had him on earlier. Um, but he mentioned that, or someone mentioned that because of this new large uh, place you guys are building, um, you guys were able to go through kind of the old historical stuff that you've had buried away. And some of that's going to come out on display, I think, in the new visitor center. Well, I think the, the plan is, you know, cer certainly a lot of that has come out and we have such a store of old stuff that's, that's really cool. Um, what it allows us to do, some of it might be in the new visitor center, but we also have our other buildings like our Rotunda Museum mm -hmm. and, you know, the the, tel the Pluto Discovery Telescope Dome and the Clark Discovery Telescope Dome. Or the Putnam Dome. Collection Center. Putnam Collection Center. There are a lot of other places that... Um, you know, by with the new visitor center, some of the stuff that's now in those places will go into the new visitor center, and that opens up more space um, to bring out things about, you know, the discovery of Pluto or, you know, the search for planets or a lot of other research that's been done here. Um, one, one I think that is really interesting, especially, you know, for the amateur community is is building more awareness about Robert Burnham, who wrote yeah. his classic burnham celestial handbook in his spare time while he was working here at the observatory mm -hmm. I, it's, it's mind-boggling i mean that's a, like a 2000 page three volume set and he did that in his spare time it's almost that set is i know several friends of mine that set of books is nearly scripture to <laughs> yes. people out there but the way if you don't have burnham's books I don't have my copies anymore, unfortunately, but I have gone through them. And if you never have taken the chance to go through them, you really should, because the way those books are written is like a love letter mm -hmm. uh, to the sky. So even if you don't keep them on hand, they're getting harder to find. So I yeah. would recommend at least getting a, a set. You know, every, um, time I, every time I go to Bookman's, which down in Phoenix, there's the one in Scottsdale and one on Northern. It seems like I always see a copy of, of the handbook there. Mm -hmm. um, but you, you're right. It's uh, you know the, the the scientific data, like distances to stars and stuff like that, is outdated. But it's like a two thousand page poem in a lot of ways, like you said, because he's got he ties in mythology and ancient coins and all sorts of things, and and it's it's remarkable reading, even though some of the data um, needs updating. It's it's still such a great resource. Yeah, that's and that's I know there's a little marker stone up there um now thanks to Jen Palakis, a mutual friend of ours. Yeah. Um um which was work, but it it's cool to to see that there might be room for even more of that story to come out. And and in fact in August we're opening a display in the Rotunda Museum about him. And we're also gonna be doing a as part of that opening, we're gonna do a panel discussion that's gonna be a live live stream so both in person and virtually and we're going to have um burnham's only living relative as well as tony ortega the 
the writer who was living in Phoenix when he uncovered the story of Burnham, and also a psychiatrist, um, Bill Sheehan, who's also a, a noted astronomy historian. And we're going to talk about Robert Burnham and kind of the mind of him because he was a introverted, troubled, uh, interesting character. And so there's a there's a great story about it. Seems like a lot of the people in astronomy. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, but we especially all gravitate. Those working, especially those working in marketing. They, they yeah. tend to be really out there. <laughs> it's true. Um, I know we only have a few minutes left here. Is there anything else cool you guys want to tell us about other than I don't think you can pack that much in a couple well, of minutes. I think Cody but... can talk. Cody can talk about the virtual stuff, which is spectacular. Yeah. Um, when everything kind of shut down during COVID, we really upped our game on uh, live streams and trying mm -hmm. to get like share our science with the world, even if we were closed. And we've been, uh, you know, since we reopened this year, we've been keeping that momentum and we have several live streams every month. For example, this year, Kevin is actually hosting um, a live stream series that celebrates 10 years since our Lowell Discovery Telescope first saw light. And that's the LDT anniversary series that he's doing every month. And soon that will be hybrid. We have interactive stargazing, which is pretty incredible. It's a, a live YouTube event where you can go on, ask for what you want to see in the sky. And our, it's that the 12 inch plane wave will, uh, will show that live to all of our audiences, which is a really fun way to interact with people from across the world. And we have a weekly podcast called Star Stuff, where we have fun conversations like this about science and all the weird stuff in space. So um, it's been a really fun addition to our, our mission to share this science with everybody um, for those who maybe aren't able to travel to Arizona right now. Sure. That's awesome. Well, that pretty much wraps up our slot. Um, I can't thank you guys enough for hanging out with me even for a little bit. Um, We'll probably have to get you on to like our one hour block sometime soon. Um, but uh, thank you for uh, taking the time. Um, and uh, thank you guys for watching. Uh, stay tuned for our next session and we will catch you guys here shortly. See ya. Hey everyone, Kevin here from Skywatcher, and welcome to another session of the Skywatcher What's Up Webcastathon Extreme. And I'm here with Vic Maris from Stellar View for the Stellar View session. So, hey Vic, how you doing? If it was any better, I couldn't stand it. <laughs> well, you're standing, so apparently it's okay. So, um, so you have a fleet of telescopes right before you, and one of them is freaking huge so i don't know if you want to just start with the elephant in the room <laughs> the elephant in the room uh this is uh, a great opportunity right now to uh, make up for the fact that we don't have beef this year to be able to do what we usually do there and that is to introduce our new products so this is uh of course one that we've been talking about for a couple of years it's been three years in the making and it is our new flagship our stellar view SVX 180 Apple triplet using an FPL 55 center element and uh, it's F7. So it's about the same focal length as our 152. It's just a full inch larger in diameter 
And um, it, uh, this is one of two prototypes that we've built so far. We're testing the objectives as we go through polishing and fine figuring. And so far we've encountered really no issues. So we're feeling pretty confident that we'll be shipping these uh, fairly, fairly soon um, in, a, in a couple of months, two or three months. We've got the, we got the tooling made for the coating chambers and everything. So we're right on schedule and uh, things are looking good for this. We've sold about two thirds of the uh, current wait list. We were making only 50 of these um, on this initial run. And so it's a limited run. And so um, we're about two thirds of the way through that list right now. So there's still some space available if people wanna buy uh, the biggest stellar view telescope we've ever made. That's awesome. It's an F7 triplet, right? F7 Apple triplet, yeah. Is there a reducer for it that you guys are making or does it use one of your existing ones? Yeah, it'll use one of our existing ones. In fact, the giant uh, flattener that we made uh, for the 152 was actually made for the 152 slash 180. Uh, we looked at both designs as we designed our field flatteners for that. And so you can either do that or you can get a 0.75 um, reducer flattener for it if you want to use it photographically. That's awesome. And then on this particular telescope, um, this is all hand done, or I know you do use machines too, but everything's done there at the Stellar View headquarters. We, uh, we uh, hand figure and machine figure using special techniques and a multi-axis polishing machines to, um, to get the stroll ratio up to really uh, bring down the spherical aberration so that we can produce lenses that are 0.99 strill, uh, which is as good as you possibly can do. Um, it takes about a six month process to go from where we were in machine polishing, about 9.0 strill, to get them up to 9.9 strill, so that 99% of the light is going exactly where you want it to go. And the results are stunning. I mean, you're talking about the highest possible contrast, you're talking about the sharpest optics that you can get but it's a long process and that's why it's taken us three years to get to this point so far so yeah there oh there's i made a mistake i said 50 we're making 50 we're only making 49 because i get one well as you should i would hope you would get your own i would you have to have you have to have one so yeah tell someone makes binoculars out of them so. <laughs> well i'm over. Uh, there you go um, I know you've got some other stuff hanging around, uh, some smaller samples um, of refractors as well as a larger one behind you. I didn't know if you wanted to talk about any of those uh, that you got floating around. Sure. Uh, as we move down the, uh, the table here, this is our uh, SPX-80, which is uh, one of our most popular telescopes. This is a black version that we're just starting to offer now. And um, so it, it's been a really good uh, telescope made specifically for imaging with solid rings and riser, uh, risers and the, lar the long rail so you can move, move it up and man maintain your focus. But um, I'm announcing right now that we're introducing a new upgraded version of this. We basically took the 80 F6 and we blew it up to a 90 F6. So we are now gonna be producing a 90 millimeter F6 apotriplet uh, using uh, a Hoya FCD 100 center element. And, um, and this is what it looks like in its photographic mode, but we're also going to make a, a visual telescope mode because so many visual users want a portable telescope, but they want it bigger than 80. 
They've really missed the 90 that we used to have. And so now we can offer this in two versions. Basically, the visual version will just be from here up. It won't come with the risers, it won't come with the plate, it won't come with field flattener, but for visual users, you know, they'll be able to have a very, very high scale, 90 millimeter visual telescope and, and all these telescopes, of course, will come with travel cases and stuff. So, uh, uh, I'll take a look at that one. I was on a uh, list uh, uh, for a 92 that I never got. So I'll have to look at that one. So this one is, um, this is the prototype and we're uh, just beginning to bring it up again from where it comes from off of a machine about 90 up to, up to our uh, 9.8 or 9.9 strill. Um, and so uh, uh, these will probably be going to the customers around the end of the year. Cause it'll oh, cool. to get um, all the objectives, uh, you know, uh, hand figured to the point where they meet our SVX standard. So a lot of people have really been asking about our 90 and to bring back our 90. This is like our previous 90, except for it's faster and it's about five times sharper than the. Uh, oh, cool! So that'll so, be at that'll be at AIC, I hope. Yes, it will. It will. Cool. I may have to run off with it. No, I'm just. Kidding. And then you've got the, another big guy in the back. Yeah, this is uh, this is one we've had out for a while now. We introduced it uh, last year, and we took uh, orders. Uh, we're just delivering, I think, the last one, the last waitlist. Uh, one, so we'll have these in in stock very soon. Uh, all the wait pe list people have pretty much caught up, except for those that ordered a feather touch focuser. The ones that came with a that where people wanted to upgrade to a feather touch has been a little delayed, uh, but feather touch is producing uh, focusers that are just having a hard time keeping up with us. So in a month or so, we hope to have all of those delivered as well. This is our 127 uh, millimeter five inch exactly F8. We wanted to make a different focal length than anybody else had out there. So at least for a month or so, we'll have that. And, um, and this is a beautiful visual scope, a five inch refractor at F8, and it's vinyl viewer ready. You can remove either one or two of these extension tubes and move the focuser up closer and use vinyl viewers without that pesky adapter getting in the way that you know, darkens things and makes, you know, a, a higher magnification. You're just using your vinyl viewers by themselves along with your eyepieces that way. So it's kind of versatile in that regard. I also wanted to show our new handle that we uh, are now producing. Um, these are currently in stock and um, they use a, an aluminum bar that has an 800 pound lift capacity. So we figured that was enough. Um, and it just slides right onto a, a, a rail on the top gives you a handle that you can hold on to and you can balance it by moving it back and forth. This is strong and sturdy enough to be able to put it on the 180. Um, so that's another thing we did. While we're here, I wanted to show off our uh, M2 mount with the Denali tripod. We've been delivering the, these over the last year, year and a half or so. And this is our latest version. It's made with apple ply. It's very beautiful, it's very strong. Um, and, uh, and now we have it with the, this tray. The nice thing about the tray is it just pops in. You just pop it in. You don't have to screw anything or do anything. You just open the, open the legs and you drop it in. It's a very precision machine, so it's very solid. Um, so this is pretty cool. The, the M2 mount and uh, Denali uh, tripod combination can easily hold the 127. So that's pretty, pretty nice that you have that kind of capacity. 
Or you can put the little 80 on it or the 90. Um, it'll work well. It's pretty well established that this mount is super smooth. So um, we, we keep running out of these. We, uh, we sell hundreds of them every year, which is kind of cool. And we make them right here. So. The, I feel like a Altaz mount is overlooked in today's market because everyone's obviously doing imaging or a large majority are doing imaging, but there is something to be said about a nice small mount where it's like, I just want to go out for an hour and yeah. view and you can pop on a decent, I mean that a one thirty F or one uh, five inch you've got there, that's no small scope. So the fact that that mount can hold it is, I mean, you could do some serious viewing on the moon or the planets with that combo right there. You're absolutely right. And, and, uh, I like it. That's why I have one of these uh, at home because I, you know, I want to go out and take a quick look. I literally walk out with the tripod, then I grab the scope, walk out with the scope, slide it on, tighten it up. We're ready to go. You know, you don't have to, you don't have to do a three-star alignment or anything. You just have to know where stuff is, and most of us do. So it's kind of yeah. Nice. No, it's it's a nice little you know, just casual thing with family, friends, or whatever. Um, and then on the back there, um, you guys actually supply your own eyepieces um, as well, or you have your own eyepiece lines um, oh, yeah. as well for anybody who was looking to maybe complement their telescope or even their stellar view with a, you know, the full stellar view name. Yeah, the the, uh, the Optimus eyepiece is our 100 and 110 degree field of view. Uh, they're very sharp from edge to edge with our refractors. They work. They work really well. We introduced these several years ago, and uh, Tony Hallis did a review that uh, I think it was in Astronomy Magazine. Um, and so they're very popular eyepieces for us. And when you buy a telescope from us, you can get our eyepieces at a discount. So that's always a kind of a cool thing. So anyway, we're going to have all this at the uh, Advanced Imaging Conference in uh, Northern California this year, uh, where Kevin and I will be, along with a lot of other cohorts of ours, um, you know, showing off our new stuff and answering questions for folks. I hope everybody uh, that's listening to this is planning to go there because it is the mecca for astrophotographers, so to speak. A lot to see. It's quite a, it's not the biggest show that we all go to, but it's certainly, I would say it's one of the most advanced spreads of equipment out of any of the shows it's yep. quite impressive and you know other you have stellar view and of course like you said a lot of our other friends are there but if you're into astrophotography it's it is like you said the place to go and that's just over a month from the time that this airs so there's yep. still time yep you can still sign up uh, and it's and if you're into imaging that's definitely the place to so i hope to see you there i would love to see everybody there as well, especially with the cool stuff you've got that I can't wait to see the 180. I mean, a seven inch F seven has always been like a dream refractor and that's, you know, kind of like the one refractor to rule them all. And obviously I know you guys prototyped uh, or made a seven inch for a customer several years ago, thus inspiring this one. Um, and like you've said it, there is a whole nother it's a whole nother ball game when you get to that size of a refractor from even from a 150. Yes, glass type glass has to be very homogenous. You know, it's got to be really good glass to start with, um, and you can't cut any corners in, in a telescope that 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 size, a refractor of that size. So, uh, but I, I know you're interested, Kevin. Uh, you know, you can just give me your pin number and you can. Uh, <laughs> 
there there all the money went so no i as much as i would like one i will admire yours from afar and i need to come out you have a star party that you guys do once a year as well yeah. don't you yeah for still new customers uh, only we have a kind of an exclusive star party we do this we'll be there this june with 50 of our customers and that's kind of a that's kind of a benefit of ownership that we have the star party under one of the darkest skies in the United States, and we go out and spend about five nights uh, under these incredibly uh, beautiful dark skies. Milky Way goes all the way down to the horizon. There are no light domes. It's an awesome place to be. And you, you're walking around in the field, and you don't even need a flashlight. The Milky Way is so bright. Um, That's awesome. Yeah, and when you get an opportunity to be under stars like that, it's just really, it's really amazing. There's kind of a camaraderie as well. It kind of gets rid of the noise of life at that point. You can kind of just sit and be like, this is nice. Yeah, exactly. It's what it's all about, really, you know, for those of us who are really, um, you know, inspired and have been for a little while. Yeah. For me, I'm it's sure it's kind of neat for you being, you know, you are Stellar View. You started the company and stuff. But to go to that event and to be able to walk around and be like, wow, we did this. Like, we made these. And it's probably pretty neat and that kind of a badge of honor to see your your art form all over the world at this point. Well, that's a really nice thing for you to say, Kevin. And, and it, it really it really is uh, uh, neat to have had this opportunity to do this. And it's not just me. We have a lot of happy feet here that run around and do things uh, and are very uh, motivated. And we just, I, we just got an email today from a customer just, you know, raving about his telescope and, you know, how... Uh, all of his life he's looked for something that that's that's this good and so it motivates us it keeps us going you know and, and, and we realize our products really kind of kind of uh, a very small niche because you know not many people want to have the very best but uh, you know it's it's great to be able to actually produce these now it's been a long 20 I think three years uh, at this point uh, learning process for us and I never thought when I began that we'd be making optics this accurate so it's, uh, it's been kind of a wow. Well, that just means for the 25th anniversary, you have to make the Stellar View 200. So, you know, it's probably not a good idea for you to encourage me at this point. The Vic Maris Signature Series 200. For there's only 25 of them for the 25th anniversary. That's a really good idea. We could call it the Lagor. Then you'd have to give me one. <laughs> so then there'd only be 24 <laughs> right right it would, it would blow the whole thing there could be 26 so we'll just call it zero and then you can start the naming convention after that so that's right well oh. Vic uh thank you so much for hanging out with us we're uh finished with our our little session here um and we will see you soon in a AIC and uh thanks for hanging out with us and for those watching uh stay tuned for our next session so thanks Vic all right, take care. Hey everyone, Kevin here from Skywatcher. Welcome back to the Skywatcher What's Up webcast, Webcastathon Extreme. I know that's a mouthful of a name, but get used to it um i'm sitting here with uh brian and tanya from los mondi they're hanging out with us in this session Hi, Kevin. and uh how's it going good, good. your your Thanks. aquarium is keeping us calm 
We like there, that. Um, so, um, <laughs> thanks for hanging out with us. Um, yeah, thank every, you. Everybody, I'm sure, has knows Los Mondi and the brand and what you guys do and the mounts. And um, you guys have been around for a long time, really became a staple in the, the hobby. But um, you guys are always, you guys, yeah, can't talk. You guys always have cool stuff in the works. Um, but before we get into that, uh, for those who might not be up to date um, with the Los Mondi line, I know, Tanya, you, you guys have a, everybody knows like the GM8 and the G11, those have been right, kind of the right. standard, but you you guys came out a couple of years ago with like the hybrid uh, setup. I didn't know yeah. if you could go through what you guys currently have. Okay. We, we call it the modular system. Um, and basically the GM8 and the G11, Scott kind of put them together and made a GM811. And so you can take off all the deck, the deck accesses to the RA accesses and match them up and change it in the Gemini system. You change the gear ratios. So it's a great little system. So if you ever, if you need multiple scopes with multiple different mounts, if you want something a little bit more portable or something a little bit more stationary, um, this is a great system to have. So you don't have as many mounts or tripods. So. And you don't need to figure out different um, systems either. You don't have to figure out different um, electronics. You know, it's just all the same. So, um, so that's so we have the GM8, the GM811, the G11, which is the 30th year anniversary this year. This year, yeah. Yeah. So we did a T-shirt that included with all of our mounts. The show we purchased. Oh, that's the 30 year what? anniversary T-shirt. Free swag when you get a mount. Um, and then. Uh, we've got the G11T, which the G11T has become very popular that now it's in full-time production. It used to just oh, cool. be once a year, but now it's in a full-time production. So that's something really new this year. And, and the G11T is basically the deck axis of a G11 mated to the older Titan, which I don't know if you guys make the Titan anymore. but We it don't, yeah. The, okay, so yeah. it has the large right ascension of the Titan um, which I think is really cool because if you get, have a G11, which is 60, 65 pounds, I think, for the payload. Yep. If you need to go bigger, you just upgrade the right ascension, not having to redo your entire mount. You just pop it on the Titan um, and you've got a G11. Yeah, and, that, and that's the whole idea of the modular system is that you can upgrade either the deck axis or the RA axis one piece at a time. You don't have to sort of throw out the whole mount and start over. So we have a lot of people starting with kind of the ultra portable GM8, which is a great field uh, mount. Then they swap out the uh, RA for the G11. They get a GM811, which mm -hmm. is a much more capable uh, mount. And they can move all the way to the G11T, which is just a humongous right ascension oh, yeah. uh, axis. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's- 45 pounds. Yeah, I mean, to some extent <laughs> you need that uh, the, the modular piece just to carry this piece around. Right, right. Mm -hmm. I remember when you guys came out with that a couple of years ago, it's like, how has no one thought about that? Like, it's such a cool system that you guys that came up with. Yeah, and people are really, really catching on to it now. I don't, I, at first, it wasn't people that just didn't get it or didn't understand it, I don't think. Um, but people are really starting to get it. So we're really starting to sell halves now. Just just RA accesses or a deck access is becoming much more popular. Yeah, you could have a field right descent. Yeah, you could have like a G11 
for the field. And uh -huh. then if you have an observatory, you can have the Titan right ascension on the pier and you never have to base it. You just exactly. disassemble the deck and leave the, the right ascension there. So Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's a great system that Scott, that Scott came <laughs> up with. I know, genius. Yeah, you know, Scott. And then we are still continuing the Alta Azimuth mount, but that one, it is, it's a very, very popular mount. But, the AZ8, um, right? The AZ8, yeah. Um, it's a very, very really? popular mount. It's just, we're more focused on the go-tos, but we, we're going to do one run a year of the Altas, of the AZ-8. Okay. Yeah. So that's coming One up. These I days, I need to get a AZ-8. Those are really nice. And I like the fact that, A, you guys have, like, cool peer extensions for it for the larger refractors. And then, B, it's a tandem setup, so you've got two different setups. Yeah, right? exactly. So, so, yeah. So, that's, and then, of course, we have all of our accessories. Dovetail plate, all those. Yeah, I can't tell you how many dovetails of yours I have stacked in various places in the garage at this well, point. I feel so less bad cool. about all the dovetails that I have. <laughs> yeah. What's really cool about your dovetail, I don't even know if you have one sitting around nearby. And for those who don't know, the coolest thing that you guys have done on those is the hash marks on the side of the Oh, right, dovetails. the laser engraved ones, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've spent years using like Sharpies and all kinds of stuff to mark it up. And then I remember you guys came out with that, with the little measurement marks on the side of the plates. It makes it so much easier to just be like, oh, six inches is where it balances or whatever. Exactly. It's just psh, done. So. Yeah, it is nice. Nice little add-on that Scott put on there. Nice. Um, so speaking of the go-to mounts, the brain of the go-to system is your gemini is, right um and is it still the gemini too or have you expanded upon that further well it is so we um originally started with the gemini one i want to say back in like 2008 2000 i mean it was a while ago i want to say 2001 because oh, i think okay. it was around for 10 years and this gemini 2 has been around for so 10 it's been years. around forever and then we switched to the gemini 2 in 2012 ish right. Yes. And we updated the original sort of larger box to a, a, a mini unit, uh, the Gemini 2 Mini, which is our the one we sell today. Yes. And it's been around, I think, gosh, it's probably 2014, right? Um, the last uh, firmware update we did was somewhere around 2017, 2018. Uh -huh. And um, there's just a bazillion of them out there. And, you know, when I, I joined the company probably about three, four years ago and realized that uh, the capabilities are built into the Gemini. We're just, I mean, we were just scratching the surface of this. So in the last mm -hmm. couple of years, literally we've been overhauling the firmware and some other things to come out with a new version of, uh, of the Gemini uh, firmware. Um, this is actually the first time we're talking about it. So we kind of talk, <laughs> talk generally Very about exciting, it. But, yeah. uh, it's going to uh, improve the uh, tracking resolution by as much as um, 400%. Uh, it's got a bunch of uh, capabilities to improve uh, periodic error correction, mm -hmm. um, which, again, is going to really help with that tracking and everything. Um, we've completely overhauled some of the safety mechanisms, so things like uh, runaway slews or possibly hitting uh, hitting the pier by accident. Uh, those, I think, are going to be a, a thing of the past, or we're at least going to greatly minimize any possibilities that's going to happen. Right. Uh, and we've really improved a lot of the Ethernet capability. So now you can use some of these micro routers more natively with the Gemini 2 and power it directly from the Gemini 2. Um, there's just a, there's so many things that are going on in this. It's probably going to take us like about five podcasts of our own just to talk through it. But, you know, the good news is 
Um, it's using the existing Gemini 2 hardware and really, I think, finally taking advantage of all the capabilities that were there and we just didn't have the time or the, the resources to really get that going. And now, you know, as a, as a longtime Lost Man user myself, I'm super excited about the capabilities. And I, we're gonna talk more about this at the AIC show, which is coming up in May. And we're gonna see you guys there too, right? Yep, yep, we should be there with that. We got all, we're already packing for it. So yeah, we're looking forward <laughs> to it, so. Nice. So is this just gonna be like a firmware update or is it new hardware altogether? It's gonna be primarily a firmware update. And, and we really focused on uh, the idea that we wanted this to um, not only be there for new mounts, but to have all the people who have who own Lost Mandy to be able to take advantage of this without having to buy something new. Right. So that was kind of a really important criteria for us in terms of doing this update. And I just was really, you know, personally, I was just really shocked at how much additional things that we could do inside of the Gemini. And it goes, I think it goes to, to speak to like how prescient and sort of for, forward thinking people were when building the original right, Gemini right. 2 hardware. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So all the capabilities are, have been in the Gemini. So everybody was like, oh, let's make a Gemini 3, Gemini 3, you know, to do some of the new technologies and everything, but it's been in there. So this, that's the good news is nobody's going to have to buy new electronics. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. You're just unlocking it. So. Exactly. Yes. Good word. Good word. I'm stealing that. <laughs> I, I know we're stealing that word. We're unlocking the Gemini 2. Gemini <laughs> unleashed. So. That's right. <laughs> I'm not going to steal that one. <laughs> scratch that <laughs> now you did mention something earlier that i don't know if everybody knows about but you guys have your own podcast as well that's kind of where you guys are sitting at the moment i didn't yes. know if you wanted to take a minute and talk about what what you guys do and when you do that and where people can watch those great yeah um we do our podcast every about every six weeks we try to stay on it um and that is we record it and then we put it out on YouTube. So that's recorded. We don't edit it. Some, we had to edit one It's time. recorded live. Yeah, it's recorded uh, live. And then we post it. And then we yeah. post on YouTube. And then we're gonna start a new platform, which is on StreamYard. And we're gonna start having live chat with people. And we're gonna try to do that about every three weeks. So in between cool. the podcast, yeah. So that will be, it'll be a short one or maybe it'll be long, who knows, you know, but it will be where people can come on and type out comments to us. So it will be completely live. Right. And so, we'll be about communicate with our Lost Mandy customers. So the podcast is called Live from Burbank. Uh, it's on our YouTube channel. You just go to YouTube and look up Lost Mandy. It's it's not hard to uh, find. Right, right. And then the live uh, streaming version is just going to be uh, the same place. So you can subscribe to our channel and check it out. And we, although we're going to do a dry run prior to AIC, I think our, our plan is to make AIC the first live streamed event uh, for our podcast. Yeah. It'll go to probably YouTube and Facebook Live as well. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So no, we're going to do our first live one on April 13th. That's our goal. And so, and then uh, ways to find out about when we're going to do these is just subscribe to our newsletter and our Facebook page. Um, or you can subscribe to our newsletter on um, on our website at store.lostmandy.com and just type in your email address. And then uh, don't forget to go to your email and confirm the email because um, that link expires within 24 hours and you won't get the newsletter. So just okay. make sure you confirm it. Yeah. So I will have to sign up for that. I guess you should. They're fun. We do images of the month and everything. It's a it's a great little tool. It's not, it's it's a fun read. It's and it's simple. And there's usually our our, our new tutorial video that Brian does every month. 
Yeah. So. Now, with our videos, it's been, or our webcast, it's been kind of the same thing. And I'm sure with you guys, uh, having a webcast like that gives you a complete control of your um, your outlet. And I'm sure that gives you, because those videos are also saved, it's like, hey, we're talking about the G11. Or, hey, we're talking about whatever today. Right. That also gives people a really, it's like, hey, we did a whole video on this topic. Go check it out. And you can learn all this nifty stuff about whatever that exactly. topic was. Yeah, we've really grown it. Um, that was when Brian came on board. We were, that was one of his things. He's like, we gotta grow, gotta grow this YouTube channel. That's where everyone's hanging out now. All the yeah. cool kids. Unless it's, <laughs> exactly. Unless it's Twitch, but I'm not cool enough for those kids. So apparently, I just started hearing about Twitch. So, but there you go. Next, yeah. next platform. So. Yes, yes. So that's about well, it. Well, cool. Yeah. We're about actually out of time at this point. But um, so if you guys are coming to AIC, we'll love to see you guys there. Tanya, Brian, yeah. I'm sure yeah, Scott stop will be floating around as yeah. well. Um, we'll be there. It'll be fun. Uh, and then, yeah, uh, if you have any questions on Los Mondi products, just losmondi.com. It's, yep. If you don't but. know, you should know. And you've probably been living under a rock if you don't know. Yeah. So... <laughs> Well, thank you. But uh, yeah, Tanya's there. Brian's there. I doubt you'll yep. talk to Scott. He's kind of a rarity, but he's floating around in there somewhere too. Yes, we keep um, him in the back and he's usually, work on mounts. Yeah, he's usually yeah. on a machine or working on mounts. So get back to work. That's right. <laughs> Your name is on this. You need to work. So exactly. Well, thanks for having us. This is a lot of fun. Yeah, thanks definitely. Thanks for hanging out and uh, we will see you guys in the next session. Uh, stay tuned. Uh, thanks, Tanya. Thanks, Brian. And we'll talk Our to pleasure. you guys later. Thanks, thanks so Kevin. much. Talk yeah. to you soon. Bye. Guys. Bye. Kevin here from Skywatcher, and welcome back to our What's Up webcast, Webcastathon Extreme. And this is our third live panel that we're doing today. Um, but before we get started, I'm going to give you guys the uh, email subject for our next giveaway. We're giving away a Star Adventurer Pro Pack, um, not the 2i version, just the regular Star Adventurer Pro Pack. Um, comes with all the accessories. You need to email in info at skywatcherusa.com. Uh, we'll put that there at the bottom of the screen. And the code name you need to put in the email subject is cheese grater. Cheese grater is the name of the uh, subject line. Uh, that'll enter you in to win a Star Adventure uh, Pro Pack. Uh, you have the entire one hour segment of this panel to enter into that giveaway. So. Uh, and at the end of the, uh, we'll reiterate that at the end of the panel. All right, good luck. Uh, now, welcome to our optics panel. I have two legendary opticians with us today, and they're, they come from very different uh, uh, walks of life and different types of optics. So that's going to be uh, very cool. We have Mike Lockwood of Lockwood Custom Optics and Vic Maris of Stellar View. Hey, guys. Hey, how's it going? Good, thanks for joining us. Um, so let's talk optics because obviously this is what pays the bills for all of us. Um, but first off, I think it'd be really cool. Um, how, if you guys could take a second, how did you guys 
individually get started in you know making optics well i guess i'll go first uh, it was a hobby back when i was in i guess middle school i wanted to make a telescope and uh that was how i was going to get something you know a decent size aperture my parents were going to buy it at that point so i started a mirror in about 1989 and recently found the i don't i don't have it up but i have actually the video from the camcorder that my dad shot of me starting to grind my first mirror oh that's awesome so i actually have the date and time and year so uh that mirror was finally completed in 2003 only a little uh 14 year gap there and then uh from that point i started fixing mirrors that friends had that were often pretty bad. And then I saw some commercial offerings from the Halley period and, and beyond. And those were awful and fixed some of those. And then it just kind of snowballed. That's great. Well, my dad uh, dropped me when I was very young. <laughs> so uh, I think that's what led to it. No, actually, uh, you know, I was, um, I, uh, my dad got me a, the quintessential 2.4 inch refractor and uh, it was, it was awful. And uh, so I was uh, in junior high school, middle school, uh, in the seventh grade. And somebody in my electronics class said, uh, are you in astronomy? I said, yeah, do you have a telescope? I said, yeah, it's not very good. And he goes, well, you should make one. So he brought to school, the Edmund and, and A. Jagers catalogs. And so that started me making, um, assembling telescopes. And then I, I bought the six inch mirror kit, did the mirror, and then I did an eight inch F7. And then I did a five inch refractor. And uh, I was 16 when I did the five inch refractor. Um, after that, the five inch refractor didn't work out. And after that, I did an eight inch um, Newtonian. And then I, actually did an eight inch F520 Kazagrin, um, classical Kazagrin, and that was fun. Um, and that was a very sharp telescope. I ended up selling it for 150 bucks. I mean, you know, when you, what is my time worth? You know, when you think about that, turned out the refractor was no good because the, the lens kit I bought had the wrong glass. And it took, it was decades later, I was giving a talk with Sky and Telescope um, to the editors. We, we had a lunch that they planned to have, I flew up, and talk to them. And they asked me the question, would you make your first refractor? And I said, well, it was back in the 60s, but it wasn't very good. And one of the editors raised his hand and he goes, did you get the kit from, and he you know, mentioned the company. And I said, yeah, why? And he goes, I did the same thing back then. They were, they were using the wrong glass. So I was never going to get rid of that false color because it was never, they weren't, they weren't matched. You know, they weren't the right, the right glasses. So that was kind of interesting. Might've gone off making refractors right then at that point. If, if I had been able to succeed with that. And that's really the story of optics, you know, getting either bad glass or getting, um, or getting the wrong glass in that case. Something we always have to be careful of. We can lose a lot of money with the wrong glass or with bad glass, so. Yeah. I, I know we at Skywatcher obviously is a slightly different operation than either of you two, um, much bigger. Um, but yeah, we've had to throw lots of glass out yeah. for bad problems. So. Yeah, it's just, it happens. Yeah. Um, 
Now that actually brings up a really interesting question. And I know some of these questions you feel like you've probably beaten them to death, but you're going to hear them again because I'm sure people here want to know. Uh, but obviously glass type comes up a lot, particularly in the world of the refractor because everyone wants FPL 53, you know, whatever. Um, is, but glass type is it's an important subject on both um, refractors, which if you're not aware, Vic makes refractors, as I hope you just saw, because his video just aired before this. Um, and then you have uh, Mike who makes unbelievable mirrors, I would say unrivaled at this point. Yep. Um, so from an optician perspective, I'd love to hear, this is why I think this panel is going to be really cool because you both come from optics is optics, but you're approaching it from different types of optics. So as far as glass type goes, what are your thoughts on what's important, you know, when obviously making an optical element, um, to a finished telescope uh, from both designs of which you deal with. You want to go first, Mike? Uh, yeah, I'll be shorter uh, <laughs> because it's, it's a lot simpler. I, I look for accurately machined glass that it's round, first of all, so you can center it. Uh, and you know that your optical figure is going to be centered pretty darn closely on the glass. Uh, it has bevels, so it doesn't chip. It has a smooth edge. Uh, doesn't have too much wedge uh, so that the edge thickness is the same all the way around. So you don't get a surface that, that that actually tends to go with a surface that's off center. And once that's out of the way, that's kind of like uh, when I do a talk on mirror making, I usually call that the foundation of the house. Um, but you also want for, for my purposes, uh, since I deal with bigger glass, you want glass that doesn't have much strain in it uh, as little as possible. So uh, with, otherwise that's called a good anneal. And that's done by the way the glass is heat treated uh, after it's made. Uh, the glass companies will do that. And that basically means that in the future, the glass generally won't change shape due to internal stress. And it won't react strangely when you work on it, polishing, and it won't react strangely when it cools off. Uh, like uh, typically if you have strained glass, which I see in a lot of the import uh, mirrors right now, uh, then the mirror will change shape in a weird way as it cools off, uh, astigmatism or other strange shapes. And so that's why the, the strain is especially important uh, for what I do. And beyond that, uh, I use, I've used all types of glass. I really don't like plate glass because it expands a lot and it changes shape a lot as it cools and as you work on it. Uh, typically, I work with Supermax or Pyrex, whatever's left over from that. And quartz is great. Uh, it's another uh, step better beyond Supermax or Pyrex, which are pretty similar. And then the real exotics like Zerodur, they, for, for the amateur world, they don't have a whole lot of benefit. They just get a whole lot more expensive. Uh, but I've worked on Zerodur as well. Just depends on what the client, sometimes they already have a blank and I'll use it. Uh, otherwise I, I recommend uh, Supermax or quartz. That's about and, it for uh, me. It's a lot simpler for those who might not be aware of the exotic glasses that's where you're getting to basically you're basically trying to control the change of shape to the glass so it maintains the overall figure as you know temperature changes and stuff like that where plate probably being the worst and then you get to zero to being the best and then everything in between is obviously you know handles it better yeah. or worse compared to others 
in my world, you know, I'll, I'll just run it down real quick. You have plate glass and then it expands a certain amount. I don't have the number in my head. Pyrex or Supermax expands about two and a half, three times less than that. And then Quartz expands about six times less than Supermax or Pyrex uh, per degree uh, of temperature change or contracts if it's cooling. Yeah, and then so the... That's, that, that's pretty much it from, from my, for my glass world. All sure. I do is make a, I make a shaping glass and then it gets coated. The light never goes through it, like for, for a, a refractor. Mm -hmm. Now, Vic, you know, coming from Skywatcher, you know, we make refractors. I've had, I've pointed people to you for refractors. Um, oh, you're the guy. Yeah, that guy's. <laughs> hey kid, you want to buy a watch? So, um, but one of the, things i think that beats the refractor world over the head is everyone's obsession with the ed glass elements used in modern refractors and i wasn't sure obviously you've played with a extensive amount of them um and i wasn't sure from a refractor perspective um what people need to know about the the glass types that are used because it's really become an obsession for people that that stands for extra drama right Oh my God. That is the greatest that thing down. ever. You should <laughs> you patent that, that now because that was extra drama. Now we my have my God. <laughs> now we have three different definitions of ED, but we'll move on. Um, yeah. Well, so we'll go into the, yeah, we'll have any yeah, commercials no, in this. Uh, no. So, um, doctor for other topics. So, so. Yeah. Um, you know, just uh, one of the things I just want to uh, tag onto what uh, Mike said about. Uh, exotic glasses like Zero Door. Um, we, we've done a lot of work when we were doing Auburn Precision Optics full-time for space optics and the military, and they always wanted Zero Door because their, their budgets were unlimited. You know, So we had a lot of Zero Door here. I, I sometimes shuddered at how much money we had here in that glass. But you know, for our purposes, yeah, quartz is basically the same thing. And, and I'm a, a real lover of Pyrex. Uh, Mike made a Pyrex a uh, 16 inch F4 mirror for me. And, and I have no temperature problems with it whatsoever. Um, I, I have uh, looked through a, an identical, well, a, a similar 16 inch mirror that was an import and they use BK7. And BK7 is like, is like the plate glass. I mean, it's, it expands and contracts all over the place. So uh, uh, the difference between those two are pretty significant. Um, and people do, like Kevin said, they, they, they always want FBL 53 because they hear everybody asking that question. And that, was, that goes back a ways because uh, glasses were truly ED, extra low dispersion, meaning that they, were, they had a ABBA rating of about 8.2 or 8.5, somewhere in there. And those were the ED glasses, the FPL 51 uh, glasses. And there's at least four different uh, glasses that are virtually identical to FPL 51 made by all the glass companies. You have shot, you have uh, CDGM in China, and, and they're all basically the same uh, dispersion glasses in the eighties. My website actually has glass types right at the top of my homepage. You can click on that. And I talk quite a bit about the differences in glass type and what really matters because we get this question multiple times a day, although it's been tapering off, people are now beginning to understand that you have extra low dispersion and you have super low dispersion. And the super low dispersions are up there 
around 0.9495. Um, the higher the number, the lower the dispersion. So the colors aren't being dispersed out. So you have uh, several glasses. There's a Hoya FCD100, which we've made telescopes in up to 130 millimeters. It's virtually identical to FPL 53. There's no reason to think that FPL 53 is something above FCD 100, but people are used to answering, asking that question because people are wanting to know if it's FPL 51 or not. But then the folks who have been on these chat rooms have lost the historic thread. And so they think, well, it's gotta be this number. Yeah, it had to be that number maybe 20 years ago, but it doesn't have to be that number now. So you have FCD 100, you have FPL 53, you have a new glass from uh, O'Hara, FPL 55. And they're virtually, as you can see, I've got a chart on my website. They're virtually the same uh, dispersion in terms of the ob number as a fluorite. They're right, they're right up there. They're all, they're all right up there, 9495. Um, and so they vary they, their dispersion, the color dispersion is as little as it gets with those glasses. And any of those glasses that are good is, uh, are, could, can make very good telescopes. The problem is nobody ever asks what grade of glass is it? You know, is it a grade A, B, or C? And in refractors, if you're using grade C glass, it means that it's not very homogeneous and that'll kill you because the light is passing through three different elements. And it, that dispersion is telling, is, is determining the degree of color correction and how it performs. Bad dispersion from long range in homogeneity has cost me, okay, where's my antidepressants? Uh, it's caused <laughs> me a lot of money. I mean, I've done whole runs of 160s and 130s with glass that had long range in homogeneity. So I couldn't see any striae in the glass, but uh, it was horrible. And in the case that I had, it was creating trefoil, it was creating stars that were triangular because it was dispersing different uh, as you went around it. And there were three high spots and three low spots in terms of dispersion, not in terms of how it was polished. So it, it, it's, been, it's been a real interesting 24 year learning experience, uh, experimenting with all these glasses from Russian OK4, which is somewhere in between FPL 51 and FPL 53, and then the 53, which was always my favorite glass. And now FCD 100 up to 130, I haven't had any issues with it. So um, that, that's what you look at. And what my website really stresses is it's how accurately it's polished. It's not what the glass is. They're not all the same. Um, it's amazing. We've tested over a hundred competitive refractors, alleged apocrymats, and they don't meet Ernest Dobbs definition. So that's, that's what you look for. There you go. So if you want to know about glass types, there you go. Stop asking. So um, now, Mike, there's kind of a, and now being a new owner to a fast Dobsonian, primarily thanks to you for making that project a reality. Um, oh, you got, a, you got a Lockwood beer? No, he was able to get some glass to make my Dob a reality. Would have loved Mike to do it, but I was also on a little tighter budget, so, but it would have been worth it. Um, so one thing that comes up and you being the master of fast Newtonian optics, um, it's kind of along the same lines of the whole 
FCDE this and FPL 50. It's rumors tend to pop up a lot where it's like, oh, I need this class. Oh, I need that class. But in the Newtonian world, um, we have these new fast, not new anymore, but we have these fast optics and we have so many people nowadays that say, oh, it's F3. It can't possibly do this, 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 and this. Um, and you've made, I don't know how many you've made, and you have some extremely fast mirrors in the world now. Uh, I would say two, is it two five is the fastest visual telescope you have out there? Uh, yeah, my, my 14 and a half inch is F2.55. It's sitting about 30 feet that way. It's like a pocket um, and, 14 and a half. <laughs> yeah, it, it, I call it stubby. Uh, and I made that actually in 2009. Uh, it's startling how long that telescope's been around. Um, and it was just an experiment to see how well the new Paracore, this is when the Paracore 2 came out. Um, Al sent me one to, to try out and give him some feedback and see how, how it performed at that crazy speed and actually does okay. Works beautifully at F3. Uh, F2.55 really stresses it. And then uh, that telescope has really come into, into its own, though, with the advent of night vision uh, observing and uh, using those uh, along with, well, separately or along with an eyepiece, depending on what you prefer uh, to use with a night vision binocular. The, the faster the telescope, the brighter the image with those. So it's a real advantage. Um, and I've done night vision with fast telescopes in, in all size ranges from small up to 40 inch. And it just gives you a different magnification. Mm -hmm. So that, that's one of the new developments with, with fast, you know, telescopes. And as far as, as quality goes that, you know, anyone that says that fast telescopes can't work should look at what the major observatories are. Go yeah. look up the F yeah. numbers of those primary mirrors and those systems and, and think about it a little bit. Uh, people get, a lot of people get hung up too much on secondary obstruction or they've heard some rumors that fast mirrors can't be made as well. Uh, and that the latter is not true. You can make them just as accurately. It takes more time, it takes more labor and it costs more, uh, but you end up with a more user-friendly telescope. Like my 20 inch F3, I literally have to, like I'm standing full height right now. The eyepiece hits me here. So I have to kind of do the splits and do this to observe at the Zenith. But most of the time, I'm, I'm sitting down. So a lot of people like that. It's it's a lot less fatiguing at night, and you do more quality observing. Um, and I still observe planets with it. It does have a bit larger secondary. But when it comes to that, I tell people, you know, if you're if you if you don't like that, then just make the telescope two inches bigger, and you've immediately removed that effect. Mm -hmm. uh, you've you've made up for that extremely tiny, more than made up for that extremely tiny. A uh, little bit of degradation that the larger uh, obstruction will give. So uh, I don't know what what did I miss there. I think that pretty much nailed it. I just I see it a common thing on um, online places that shall not be named, um, but I, it's one of those things where they're they're not quite as common as you know f four and longer. Um, optics out there so i think there's a lot of people who talk about something they've never seen before kind of like the yeah. loch ness monster and um, another thing that sort of comes up uh is you know collimation is not something that everyone has mastered so when you go to a star party and you kind of look through telescopes a lot of them aren't, aren't collimated very well though the tools have gotten a lot better howie gladder's tools really improved things and got people 
into a much better collimation. So even with the average, you know, F four and a half or F five telescope, they may not be collimated properly. So when you get a fast telescope, you need an owner that really knows what they're doing. Uh, the tools are available and it's not that hard once you know what to do. I find it no more difficult than with the slower telescope. Um, but a lot of times still you'll see, you know, a fast telescope that's not collimated properly. Uh, but when everything's right, uh, there, you can't really distinguish them uh, from the slower telescope. Like I, I'll go look through my 20 inch F3, which is my main telescope. It's a Starmaster. We did that in 2008. And with the Paracore 2 uh, or the SIPS, uh, I forget it's F3. I mean, it goes a great, great view across the uh, whole field of view. That's the, that's the main key with fast telescopes. Use a good coma corrector that's set up properly and use eyepieces that are meant for that, that speed. At F3, um, typically I'll use Ethos or Delos eyepieces. I know there are others that work well, but those are just what I've uh, used for a long time and they work extremely well into those, even in the upper twos. Uh, but not all eyepieces do, so you have to realize that. Uh, and if you get the proper accessories, good collimation equipment, good coma corrector, good, good eyepieces, you're gonna have excellent views, even in those very fast telescopes. I tell people right now, uh, the, the lowest I recommend for high quality visual use is about F2.8. That's where I kind of uh, stop. And it's not because of the optics, it's because that's where the correctors and the eyepieces start to give up a little bit. Nice. Mm -hmm. That's good. Um, I, I think, you know, uh, I remember arguing with somebody that I, I shouldn't get an F5 telescope because if it's under F6, it's going to have coma. You know, uh, now we're talking, we're going way back now. I mean, I mean, one or two of you weren't alive then. But anyway, um, and so it was always thought that the longer, the better. I remember Tom Cave had a something like an F12 Newtonian or something like that to view the planets with and stuff. So there was a different belief back then. And when you start looking at some of these mirrors where the optician like, like Mike, you know, never, never produces astigmatic lenses. You know, the lenses are never, I mean, the mirrors, the mirrors are never shaped like a, like a potato chip, but it's so easy for people to do that if they don't start with the right glasses, he pointed out and, and really know what they're doing. There's a lot of those out there. And so if you have something like that, that's fast, it's going to reinforce their misconception that fast mirrors aren't going to work. No, you know, it's, it's whether or not it's, it's, it's made correctly and, and accurately. So I and think that's supported where properly. Yes. And cooled off and collimated and all those, all those things, you know, that uh, uh, Suter talked about in his book. Um, I'm not a big proponent of star testing for large mirrors because the thermal effects play havoc with star tests, but they will tell you if you're collimated or not. And if you, you know, uh, if your system is generally set up properly, if things are pinched, that sort of thing. So there, there's a good learning curve with a with a Newtonian that there isn't with a refractor typically. If it's in collimation, then generally it's going to work. I mean, if it's large, it's going to have some. It's going to change a bit as it cools off. I assume, right, Vic? Oh yeah, yeah. It'll it'll um, the the focal length will shorten and uh, it'll spherically change a slightly. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Um, with a Newtonian. Yeah. So. Yeah. The typical the typical change for a Newtonian is as it cools off, uh, the outer edge of the mirror 
boost. There's actual area there that the, the very outer edge of the mirror radiates heat. So the material, the glass, actually shrinks at the edge. So you end up, if this is the edge of the mirror, it kind of does this for temporarily. So you get an overcorrected mirror for a while. And then if you ever get to equilibrium uh, during the night, like you do in the Florida Keys, then you have a mirror that's shaped pretty much exactly like it was in the optical shop. Because we'll always test in a thermal equilibrium condition. Uh, so that's, that's the effect that the different types of glass ha have as well. Um, and that is pretty much independent of F number, uh, that effect. Uh, it doesn't really, unless you have a huge difference in edge thickness versus center thickness, then uh, the physics don't really show too much of a difference uh, with F number and temperature change. Now, Vic, um... I, Mike, I don't know if you've, have you only made mirrors? Have you tried to make? Okay. No lenses, no. Um, so Vic, it's kind of interesting because you, you've, you've dabbled in both sides, dabbled in one side and succeeded obviously in a whole nother world. Um, but when you're doing uh, mirrors, you're only working it with one optical surface where a refractor, we're talking four to six or more optical surfaces. Um, do you find making mirrors to be more challenging or is a refractor more difficult because of all the additional steps you have to go through? My wife tells me that I, I won't do anything unless it's really, really, really hard, you know? And so, <laughs> I mean, and you know, it's very hard for Mike too. You know, his, his, uh, uh, what's hard for him is he's got one surface. He's got to, he's got to do it all in one surface. So in many ways or a mirror, uh, has a higher requirement than lenses where each surface uh, interacts with each other's surface. And so you can compensate as you go. So uh, in some ways, mirrors are harder. In some ways, um, uh, uh, lenses are harder. Um, we, we make one a spherical surface um, mildly in, in, in what we produce. And... Um, and so it's a little tricky. It's a little tricky what we do, but I think each has its own difficulty, level of difficulty. And especially when you're trying to do something that's truly exceptional and it, doing something that is exceptional makes a huge difference. And I know people will argue, well, the seeing, you know, you can't tell from the seeing. Uh, I can tell a good telescope from a bad telescope. I don't care what the seeing is immediately. You can tell. And what I like to do when I'm doing, I have a talk that I give to astronomy clubs and it's called making a world-class refractor. And if you're listening to this and you have an astronomy club and you want me to do a Zoom talk for you, I'd be happy to, to do it when we can schedule it in. But one of the things I talk about is back in 1985, um, I had, had not made a telescope for a while. I was doing a lot of things in my other life and um, I, I came into some money. And so I just bought a telescope you know, because I, I missed doing it and going out, but I didn't have time to make one. And I bought a little short stubby eight inch telescope. I won't mention what color it was. You know, is it blue or is it orange or is it white? No, I'm not going to mention that, but you know, it was the third telescope because I kept sending it back and, you know, cause I'm, you know, retentive. So, you know, this one, I, I could see it. I could see an airy disc when it was in focus. And I said, well, I guess that's as good as I'm going to get. I didn't think much of it because I had a lot going on. Well, we went to a star party up in Blue Canyon, which is um, 
about 45 minutes from here. It's a mile high. Um, you, you, you can see the Milky Way. It's where my astronomy club would go and have their star parties. And one summer evening, uh, there were 50 people on the hill with all kinds of telescopes. And I had this little stubby little telescope that I was using. I was looking at Saturn and I could make out Cassini's division and that was about it. And um, the guys across the way kept saying, super seeing, we're under super seeing. And I'm looking and I'm going, it's a soft image. I go, no, it's not super seeing at all. And oh no, it's super seeing. I go, what size telescope are you using? And he goes, I'm using a six inch. And I said, well, I'm using an eight inch and I, I, I'm just seeing what I always see. Let me see what you're looking through. What, what kind of scope is that? And he goes, oh, it's an astrophysics. And I went, oh, hadn't seen through, looked through one of those before. It's a six inch F12. Look through it. It's like a Hubble image. <laughs> And it was amazing. And I went back to my scope and looked through it. And that was the last time I ever looked through it. And uh, I remember ha having gone through an entire perihelion opposition of Mars with that scope and always thinking I had bad seeing. So what we did on the hill that night was we said, we are under sub -arc, arc second seeing. Everybody point at Saturn and everybody toured everybody else's telescopes. And there were only four telescopes on that hill there were a lot of commercial telescopes. There were only four telescopes on that hill that showed us you were under perfect seeing. None of the homemade ones, forget it. Um, none of the inexpensive ones. There was the astrophysics refractor. There was a galaxy mirror, uh, an obsession that had a really good galaxy mirror. And there were two other reflectors that had Pegasus mirrors, which were made by a guy who's since passed away, John Hall. And he made pretty good mirrors, you know, compared to the mass-produced mirrors. All the rest of them, same kind of thing. So it, it, it really is amazing how much difference it makes by spending that extra time, but that extra time is money. And so people say, well, I can't afford that. Well, okay, just understand that if this is all you can afford, you're not gonna see as much. Um, and, and that's the difference. That's what I try to really run home when people ask me glass type questions. You know, it's gotta be accurate, so. Yeah, and I I think there's a spot for everything. Obviously, Vic, we've had this discussion probably in depth numerous times at shows and stuff like that, where you have the mass produced companies. We're one of them, obviously. And Mike has probably seen way too many of our mirrors. Um, they probably fit the bill to get people um, into get them in there and start having fun in the hobby. But eventually, like anything else, whether it's, you know, uh, guitars or whatever it is. Um, you know, Mike, I know you're, you're into beers and stuff like that too. Eventually you kind of switch away from, I want this to something that's more crafted and you can, and, but again, you pay for stuff like that. And I know there are people out there that are probably watching. It's like, well, I can't afford stellar view or a Lockwood mirror. And you can, it's just, is it going to be worth that to you? That's up. That's completely up to you. Um, I've used both. I can tell you, yeah, it's worth it. Um, uh, we got the most memorable Lockwood. I've never had the privilege of meeting Mike in person, although he's met my flat counterpart, the cardboard Kevin at the winter star party. That's a whole nother story. Um, he was having a great time. Let me tell you. Yeah. I, I apparently, but, I got to use one of your 30 inch F3 mirrors at Texas star party once um, for it's been a couple of years. It was a couple, I think it's Doug and 
Doug and Christina. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's a 30 inch F 3.3. Uh, sadly, Doug has since passed on. So oh, no we're, way. We're, we're, oh. We're, remember him. Um, but Christina is still observing with that. Uh, and I think, uh, I think she volunteers uh, to help with TSP. Okay. That's too bad. And it's a, they and it's were... a Star Master. Yeah. It's the one with the pink bow on it. Um, that thing throws down an image, though. Uh, we were on the Whirlpool with like a eight Delos or something, and it was like you were in it. I mean, it yeah. was just in it. And there was there's a 36 inch on the field, too, and a 32 that we were right next to. That 30 inch just obliterated the other two. Wasn't even funny. Um, but yeah, that was... I've, I've talked to people before and I'm still learning with my 28, how seeing it's a very different experience when you get over 20, how those conditions really affect everything. Um, at least in the early part of the night, but you know, you do get people, it's like, well, if the seeing conditions aren't that great, then the big ones don't produce an image. Well, when the seeing does back it up, there's no arguing with that aperture. Um, and you both yeah, have kind of, yeah, go ahead. It, it depends on the type of scene, too. I mean, yeah. if it's really fast all over the place, just this, you're not going to see anything. But if it's slower, you'll have those steady moments you can catch. Sure, that's right. Yeah. And uh, I'll, I'll let you finish your point, and then I had a couple more things to add about uh, the quality. Oh, go ahead, because I was going to oh. start diving into aperture. So, but okay. go ahead. Well, with the, that part. the other thing that, not to forget with the Newtonian is there's there are two mirrors in the system. So the flats need to be checked out. I do that and I either figure them or approve them when I do an optical set because I want to make sure that that whole set is good. And, you know, flats are tricky. Uh, they, they just need to be checked. Uh, the other thing I find is with, even with large telescopes and experienced people, often they don't use high enough power. They're, they're just afraid. They don't know what they've got, some of them. Um, when they've got a good night or they've got good optics or everything's right, they just, they never get away from that 17 ethos. Uh, some of them don't get away from the 21 ethos and they really need to be using a, a you know, 4.7 or, you know, something or an eight or something like that. You got to push up the power and on those good nights, you'll see more. The contrast will improve. Uh, that's one of the major faults. And I remember talking to Christina about this. Uh, and, and since then they, she's been using more power with that telescope. Yeah. Just, you've, just one of those things. You've got the, the light to back you up. Why not? It's like a race car. You may not be able to always drive it fast, but sometimes you should take it someplace where you can. Otherwise you're just tooling around and not doing anything with it. Now you, you both are kind of, well, Mike, uh, at, when we're talking mirrors aperture is can go as big as your either your polishing table or as large as the checkbook funding it is going to get so um and then vic obviously for the video we just saw of you you're chasing the aperture as well when it comes to refractors with your new 180 um do you guys find that there's a sweet spot in any of your particular designs that you find really you know, brings home a, a, so if someone wants to get something in either a refractor for Vic or a Newtonian for Mike, if there's a particular aperture size where they're like, I've got some money, I want my world-class scope. Is there a particular aperture size you would recommend for a client? Um, maybe for, especially for Vic, maybe more of just a visual 
perspective rather than imaging? Well, uh, there's a curve that, that goes, you know, um, uh, you know, performance, aperture performance, and then you have the, is my back broken? Looking for channels. That's and you can drive basically like beta. That 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 can drive basically like beta.
basically lush baited, the car 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 basically lush baited, the 
can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. The can bribe basically lunch baited. 
the card basically lunch baited, 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 the card basically
the car basically lunch baited, 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 the can drive 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 basically lunch baited.
beta the basically lush 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 beta the basically
beta the car basically lunch 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 beta
beta the carbase we lunch 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 beta 
the concrete basically lush beta, 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 the concrete basically lush beta.
beta the carbase will watch 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 beta the car
beta that can probably basically lash 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 beta that can
can probably watch beta that 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 can probably watch beta 
the car basically lunch baited, 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 the car basically lunch 
the car basically lunch baited, 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 the can drive 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 basically lunch baited, the 
can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited, the can bribe basically lunch baited.
beta the car basically lunch 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 beta 
that can bribe basically lunch baited, 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 that can bribe basically lunch baited.
beta the concrete basically lush 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 beta 
the concrete basically lush beta, 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 the
basically lush beta, the contrived 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 basically lush beta, 
the concrete basically lush beta 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 the concrete basically lush beta
beta the confirm basically lush 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 beta
beta the concrete basically lush 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 beta 
basically lush baited, the car 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 basically lush baited.
basically lunch baited. The car 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 basically lunch baited.
beta the car basically lunch 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 be